Salutations, my Fallout lovers. It is me. Me What? Wait, hold on. God darn it. We're not stopping. We're not stopping. Once the count off, just go. I hate when I do this. I I do it with the guests we get. It is Maddie here with week 45 of the Ham Radio Podcast. Why did I say me, though? It's me. I don't, it's me, guys. I don't know. Lone, guys. just lone. Go. And it God. is me, the king of kangaroos, the lone vault wanderer. My name's Noah. Uh, this week, another uh, famous person followed me on Twitter, so it's always solid. <laughs> and uh, we have, as I said earlier, a very special guest joining us today. Hey, hey, guys! It's uh, it's, it's Chris Avalon. Hey, thanks for returning my calls. Like I must have called like a dozen times in the past twenty four hours. Not to mention this. So anyway, how, how how are you guys doing? Can we hang out? Or is I that really good? wanted to get on the ham radio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I picture like an old nineties like voicemail machine. Like beep. Hey, it's Chris Avalon. Yeah, like, I was just checking in to see if you yeah. got the previous eleven messages in the past. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. Fantastic. How about yourself, Chris? I am doing well. It has been a, a tiring day, but you know what? Talking to you guys is refilling my mana bar, and I don't mean that in a sexual way. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, it means it in the like you know, Magic the Gathering way. <laughs> <laughs> I will tap you for mana. I am not, I am not a land, sir. I am not a land. God damn it. Uh, so, Chris, for... People that might not exactly know who you are, yes, what exactly right. did you do in the gaming industry? We'll, we'll start off with that. Well, uh, so that's a, a question I often ask myself. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I write for games, and usually they are role-playing games, uh, not always. And uh, I really love to do it. And I eventually wrote so much that various editors eventually collapsed under the strain and they're like just to get this guy away publish something and then after that things went great okay, that's, <laughs> that's my life i worked on uh uh let's see uh, fallout new vegas fallout 2 i did not get a chance to work on fallout 1 which i hugely regret uh i worked on the canceled fallout 3 at interplay fallout van buren uh did a lot of fantasy role-playing games with uh dnd as part of the title uh oh. went to the icewind dales went to the Wonderful world of Planescape where everything is possible. Oh, it's a whole bunch of shit. That was just, like screaming himself. Now I see his face when he's like, I, 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 well, I, I, I didn't know you were up for D&D. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, I don't play D&D at all, but. No, D&D is a, is a tricky beast. Uh, it, uh, I, I, I loved writing for Planescape. Forgotten Realms was a bit more of a challenge because there were a shitload more elves. <laughs> Fucking elves. What's funny is that. <laughs> Of all the things you named, D&D was the one where I was like, damn. Like, I mean, all, of course, all the others are like, holy shit, you know. <laughs> no, were you like, like Drizzit? Did you ever fucking write? Like, I'm like, no. He never, like, he never talked to me. He always spoke through an agent. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, fair enough. So an update right, for our listeners. We are finally mobile to some degree. We're still working on SoundCloud yeah. and stuff, but we are now on iTunes. So if you search, and this is not me being egotistical, but... He's narcissistic, no. he's egotistical. If, if, but if you search Mr. Maddie Plays, all one word, like my channel. Because it's his podcast. <laughs> egotistical plus five. If you type in ham radio, there are so many ham radio podcasts, not by the same name, but there are so many that have the name ham radio that ours gets like lost under all of them. So we have it under Mr. Maddie Plays. So once you type that in, ours is the first one to come up. So if you guys want to subscribe to us on iTunes, you can go ahead and do that and listen to us on the go. We've heard you guys, and after 40-plus weeks, we finally got it right. 
somewhat, <laughs> because now all of the Android users are going to bitch, but whatever. Next, up, next step is working on the uh, webcams yes. and getting those implemented. Because yes. li- we have webcams up right now, but, you know, everyone's like, what the fucking webcam? You know, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> guys, none, none of this sounded egotistical. <laughs> no, you, guys, no, you guys really got to work on the ego. <laughs> Because it's like, you don't know what the word means. Well, I mean, it's, it's, under, it's under my name, even though there's three of us. Like Until you f- you face the blazing sun of ego, trust me. <laughs> you really need to work on it. <laughs> God Jesus. damn it, Patty. All right. I'm the fucking but... man. How about that? Right. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, I'm trying there. now. I'm trying now. Dawn is breaking. Dawn is breaking. <laughs> anyway. We have eight fantastic questions here to ask you chris uh ranging from career to what you're doing lately all that stuff and i don't know who wants to ask what we never really went over that because we don't prepare much for this podcast we're more of a organic podcast without a plan we go in and we just i shotgunned the last question you know i'm gonna shotgun it yes i do in the fucking passenger seat of my car too bro Uh, (laughs) can 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 I jump? Can I jump in real quick and just ask a question that isn't even on the list? Oh no! Uh, it's a it's a it's a gaming related question. Don't he's worry. Like, oh, it's no. not gonna... he's like all prepared. Yeah. No, well, uh, Matt Matt's thinking too. Matt's like, you ask it. Like, what's what's because your definition? Literally, right above it says, "Here are the questions of our interview. Like, We'd like to give our guests time to look over them and not hit them with any curveballs." And he just knowing the first ten minutes hitting them with curveballs. No, it's it's it's. I don't. This question may be in it because I haven't. Look though, I didn't. I didn't look over the last few. I looked over um, the first like six. But um, what what was your like? Fuck off. What was your? What was like one of your favorite to write for? Like of all of them. Wow. Uh, So I liked writing. uh, How do I put this? Uh, So there were different things about each of the games that were really interesting. So like for example, like with Icewind Dale two, a lot of the characters in the first town uh, kind of sort of subtly mock fetch, fetch quests and like how tutorials are done. And, uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, let's see. Uh, I really enjoyed writing for Night Soul Republic two, uh, because I had a lot of questions about the force. Uh, I, I, <laughs> that whole predestination thing kind of threw me and then the force didn't seem very nice to me. And then I'm like, what the fuck is up with the force? And I, a lot of questions there. And then, uh, I enjoyed writing for Planescape very much. That was pretty awesome. Uh, uh, just because in Planescape, you can do anything. Like It's like every single fantasy world you can imagine, and then some that you can't. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, lastly, uh, anytime I ever got to write for Fallout, um, that was much more of a modern, fun kind of sci-fi. You can be a little bit uh, edgier with the dialogue, but it's more contemporary. And I've been so used to doing things like, oh, by the hells, and oh, the gods would not appreciate this. The elves. Appreciate your faith. Like, then I got to fall out. I'm like, oh, thank God. I can just write like people talk, but but crazy people. (laughs) So so anyway, I'm not sure that answers your question. No, that does. That's the only curveball you'll get. Yeah. Really? Oh, also, what's your favorite food? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerios and pepperoni pizza together. I was going to oh, yeah. say, I was like, is that That's together? Okay. And then you put it, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. All Anyways, right. Maddie, you, you can have the honors of asking the first question. I know you the want honors. to. <laughs> <laughs> so, On your podcast. Uh, a lot of people want to know because, you know, you helped with... Why'd you flip me off? <laughs> um, <laughs> they can't see the cameras. Don't say what I'm doing. 
Uh, Why are you taking your shirt off? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, put your pants on, man. <laughs> Why are you standing up in front of the web? Oh, crap. <laughs> Jesus, that's erect. No. <laughs> oh, so, man. a lot of people want to know, because as you said earlier, have helped with Fallout 2 and New Vegas, and you were going to help with the original Fallout 3. A lot of people want to know... Based off what you've at least played so far, what your overall impressions were for Fallout 4. I know you told me you didn't put a lot of time into it, but like based off what you have put into it, have you enjoyed it? Any issues with it? Is it vastly different from anything you ever expected? You know, I guess go on. Uh, so, I, so, I, so I have enjoyed it, and I, I'd like to kind of ask you guys a question, too. So if Fallout 4 had released the character face generator a day before the game released... Would you guys have appreciated that? Yes, because yep. I'll be 100% honest that when I say that game downloaded and it was ready to play at night for me, I was like, just make him look like a man. Mm. And then I, I went through. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say I, I didn't spend a whole yeah. lot of time doing with it. Yeah, I would have definitely appreciated it, but I spent close to like 40 minutes making my character. Yep. Well, I mean, and granted, and I'm not saying this like, in a, in a rude way, but, like, I got my copy early, so, like, I had that time to, but if I got that on launch day, I definitely wouldn't have put as much time into creating my character. How'd you get your copy early? Uh, What's going on? Yeah, we, we know early. people, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Famous. You yeah. Yeah. Lone got it fucking earlier, but yeah. we're not going to get uh, yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, here's a great story, Chris. Behinds were out drinking, and he's like, hey, you want a copy of Fallout 4? You're like, shit, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We've got him on speed dial, Chris. Have you <laughs> ever heard of Brian T. Delaney? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, so, Matt, no, Matt I was about it. to say, but uh, I, I got the copy like a week and a half early. So, a bit Ow. before Matt. Earlier than Matt. I, but even, oh, even so, right? Burns me up. I got it, right? I got it. But I, every time I play, whether it's Fallout, even when I started playing Elder Scrolls, I feel like I just want to jump from the character creation straight into the game. And not put as much time as I probably Which, could because you're wearing a mask half the time anyway. That, so. That's very true. Uh, mm. so, well, what struck me though is because the character generation was so detailed and they gave you a lot of options and you yeah, do yeah. want to get that face correct because you're going to be seeing a lot of the time. I That was probably the first time where it really hit me that if they had released that 24 hours before the actual game came yeah, out, yeah. then I could have had just fun tweaking that character. I think it would have gotten me even more hyped up for the game than I was. So that's one thing that struck me because... I jumped into the game. Um, a lot of character adjustments you want to get just right. But then, like, around the hour mark, you're like, uh, you know, I think I kind of want to just play now, but I, I want to make sure I get this right. So uh, I, I don't know really how to say that the fact that they give you so many options and so many things to tweak, which is an awesome thing, but it slows down the beginning. And then there's some weird aspects where... <clears throat> I think they did a good job of sort of like building the initial family in Fallout 4. Uh, but when I was starting to examine like the scars on my face and, and adding those little touches and then like my husband would say, oh, there's the face that I love. And then I started asking a lot of questions about my family where I'm like, 
does he does he like did he hit me? Like did he cause the scar? <laughs> like, should, I, should I divorce him? Is there like a domestic violence occurring? <laughs> no, I got a little bit chilled. I'm like, oh god, what what kind of family is going on? They're like, do I want to turn away from the mirror? Like, am I am I in a murder house right now? American Imagine. Horror Story season 2077. I do this because I love you, honey. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I earned this in the war fighting for you, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Well, that's the vault tech rep gets, gets to your house. He's like, Jesus. You know, it's like, <laughs> episode of Cops is filmed. But, but like, that's <laughs> one thing that I said about um, the character creation and then being introduced to your family. I wish that was a bit more fleshed out. Just a little bit. And I don't know if Noah or Maddie agreed with me After when I said, said that. you said that part where you said, like, they should have gone to the park when the wife talked they about it. They should go for, like, a walk that, that, or something. I think it would have been, know? like, the little moment that when you look in retrospect, like, in that moment, it really, you don't think it would have done much. But when you go back in retrospect, that was, like, a thing you did together, and it kind of would have went a long way. I, I, I totally agree. Actually, the moment I had the, the chance for a sarcastic response, I thought it would be a throwaway line, but... Then when I heard it, I laughed. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, well, now I do actually want to go to the park. And that, that's a really good line to put out there, even though like it doesn't directly advance the conversation. It suddenly gave me a, a whole insight on in how that family had been set up. And it was, it was really well done. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I also thought like uh, getting to the vault, like that was a good thing to actually directly experience. Uh, getting out of the world, I thought the base building was awesome. Um, I... I I know a lot of people that spent hours upon hours, like, customizing their quote-unquote home. Um, I did think that some locations got a little bit sleepy. Like, my first experience with Concord, I thought, was kind of like, uh, so I'm I'm kind of in a big town. I was looking forward to it. But there's not a lot going on until you actually meet the main conflict in that area and kind of slowed things down a little bit. But uh, overall, like, I, I was enjoying what I usually enjoy about the Bethesda games, which is there's tons of shit to explore, there's tons yeah, of stuff yeah. to find. You can always upgrade stuff. And now they've given me even more stuff to upgrade. Okay. And okay. so I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, so whereabouts are you in the game then yeah, if awesome, you haven't man. put too many hours in it? Not, not very far at all. And actually, like, uh, I sort of piggyback off uh, uh, my girlfriend's uh, playing a Fallout 4, which, is, which provides an interesting contrast because she's – She's got companions that I I don't know if I would take, and then uh, yeah, she's in reached the games that I that I haven't explored yet. So so seeing that is kind, of, and she's having a blast with it. So cool. fun is fun. So where did Noah go? By the uh, way, he said he said he'd be right back. He put his finger up. He, he's like, fuck, fuck this, I'm gone. Anyway, he's putting I'm, the air I'm hungry. Putting, I need some food. Uh, anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so oh, that, hi Noah, how you going, buddy? Sorry, I had my dogs were barking. I was gonna jokingly scream, shut up, but I didn't want to <laughs> <laughs> be rude. So, so what did you guys think about the voice protagonist? I I liked uh, it. Since we know the guy, I thought it was great. <laughs> and girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't say anything bad, he'll kill the, you. The, <laughs> no, no in, in, in all reality, I, I, I thought it helped you know, connect with the character a the lot better. The was top notch. It was just, I don't know if it, in the long run, like now looking back, I don't know if it was the best choice. Because I think it essentially took a lot away from what Fallout games usually are. Um... Like the I don't I this is this is the biggest question I wanted to ask you because you know you wrote for these Fallout games where you know you had these extensive dialogue trees and all that stuff, uh you know did you think going with this, I guess simplified dialogue system in Fallout Four was like a good choice for like how big the f- series is now or do you think they should have just stayed with how like three New Vegas two one how those were kind of you know like all these branching um, dialogue. That's kind of a complicated question. Um so. 
I generally prefer giving the player a, a lot of options, um, and then that, that that can be kind of as I mean, giving them a lot of options towards the middle of the game or past the opening sections. They don't they don't drown in information, but uh, I was I was worried about the voice acting uh, because I know how much of a resource drain that is and how much it restricts the number of lines you can give a character, how much. Uh, how much branching you can actually do, like because there, there's a certain budget associated with that. Uh, that said, I actually didn't. I, I like the voices. Uh, we actually worked with uh, Courtney Taylor, who did the female protagonist on um, Alpha Protocol. She played a character called Scarlet Lake, and she was great. I, 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 I thought as a female protagonist voice, she did an excellent job. I'm like, oh wow, like hey, I, I'm getting into this. I, I'm getting the tone. That's fantastic. Um, so yeah. I, I, I my only issue I think was that uh, there were times when I really felt the choke points in the dialogue where I'm like okay well I'm getting the impression the last thing I said didn't really matter because it's actually funneling me down this path yeah. and and that sometimes would throw me but I, I I didn't mind the the quality of what was being said so yeah, it's kind I, of a trade off the, the, the common messaging that we've been getting like from viewers and whatnot is that it wasn't the quality of the voice acting because everyone was in pretty much overall agreement that the quality of the voice acting was good what Brian and Courtney did was fantastic it was just that well is it suitable for a fallout game because that's typically not what they're known for for like you know having a voice protagonist it's usually been silent so because of that drastic change it's been one of those things where well you know people consider Fallout 4 to be a really good game but is it a good Fallout game I've seen that agree or disagreement a lot in debate I don't know where I fall on that side of the, it's, the it's, line it's an interesting question to raise because uh, I'll, I'll take an even farther step back and that I sometimes okay the, I think the first challenge is that when you're going up against uh, Dragon Age and Mass Effect I think a lot of the RPG community now sort of expects that kind of uh, voice acting and sort of personal yeah. push that character. The, the other a- the other aspect is so obviously like I'm, I'm very old. Uh, so <laughs> one thing that, that always struck me is just the the more you add voice to the player character, I worry that that just gets in the way of some aspects of role playing because whenever I read a response that my character gives, I'm always imagining how they're saying it. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's actually more me, even though I have to invest more effort into it. And I feel like when you have a voice protagonist, it sort of switches off part of your brain. And you're like, okay, well, the, now now I'm sort of like passively absorbing the delivery versus sort of actively imagining how that delivery is. So that, that, that's, I guess that's what I'd say. That's, that's a fair, fair argument. Um, I think another thing, too, is um, it was said that, you know, it's a good game but not a great Fallout game. I think you then have to zoom back a little bit even more and say, well, you're comparing it to something that was made, you know, for last gen, which was, you know, the older fallouts. Maybe this is what the new fallout is going to be like. You know what I mean? Maybe this is what the new Elder Scrolls and, and, and so on is going to be like, you know, and I don't think that's such a bad thing necessarily. I think there, there probably is a lot of the learning process, but I think. Chris, you're also right in that it, it is a huge resource to do, you know, voice yeah, acting and, and stuff like that. And um, it, it's kind of, you gotta, you gotta weigh your options. I don't mind the voice acting. Uh, I um, really don't in the scheme of things. But again, it, it you know, until it, it comes until with mod makers. I and, loved Fallout yeah. 4 more than like any game Bethesda's ever made until it like hit the internet and then it got like picked apart to like no end. And then it like all the flaws kind of like started yeah, to like yeah. rise up and it was just like, well, and then I just realized, wait, this is my own opinion. Like, I really like this game, so 
no offense, but like fuck yeah. what everyone else says. <laughs> well, it's like, but it's it's funny because I I I was saying this to you before Matt and on the on the Skype call before we actually started recording. I, that I started playing Metal Gear and you were you know Metal Gear Solid Five and you were like, well, the story's not that great, but if you like the gameplay, you'll have a lot of fun with it. And that's exactly the type of per- I, I love the gameplay. Yeah. Not that into the story though, you know, and so, I'm not yeah, really paying attention I, to it. I agreed that with no, I was like. Then you're gonna love. Then it's a yeah, good game. Yeah. Game. Then you're gonna have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. You know. And it's, I'll, it's the I'll same thing. I'll be honest thing. with though. With, with Fallout, I think the whole voice acting protagonist was an experiment to see maybe if they should implement it in Elder Scrolls or not. That, that's my no, overall not. thing. There's too oh, many oh. races. Too many races. Female, male, and female. Yeah. Oh, you could have fun with I that know, though. Just, yeah, I, you could though. You could have dude, like made up languages with be... like uh, subtitles <laughs> with it. I'm not even kidding though. Like that would be well, epic. Like, think of how each what? race sounds. You'd have to get a voice actor, male and female, for both record a full Bethesda game for them. It's I can't even remotely. Chris, imagine. your next project is developing an Elven uh, language <laughs> for <laughs> for Bethesda. But, but, but if you had Elder Scrolls though, like I mean, but what you suggested though, where you, like you make an alien voice tone and then you actually have the words displayed like that that works just mm-hmm. fine in my opinion it certainly saves, like, nice saves the public yeah that would yeah. even just fine even actually like far like- primal barco primal they've actually have historians come in to create a language a fictional language and they're just going to have subtitles. So I think that's interesting. That is pretty cool. Yeah, but it's Far Cry Primal. So. Yeah, you, I don't know why you guys have such a thing I'm against still, Far Cry Primal. It. I'm going to try it out. I, I, it hasn't ever come I'm out yet. Try, I just said I'm going to try Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Ask, ask hey, Matt, are you going to try it out? Ask the second question, alone. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I'm going to ask a third. Shut up. I'm wait, wait, wait. Uh, actually, but I don't want to go back to one thing where, like, where you said yeah. the internet was picking it apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the important thing to sort of hold on to is the fact that you were enjoying the hell out of the game before that happened and sometimes one of the most insulting things i get from people is when i'm enjoying a game and then they say well you really shouldn't be enjoying it for this reason i'm just like uh but no i enjoyed it exactly so that was my feeling while playing and i'm sorry it's like people are saying (laughs) no your opinion's wrong it's like Shut the fuck up. (laughs) And and that's where the term feelings are pretty honest with me. And that's where the term the overrated part. comes into it. Like when when, ev- when a lot of people like a game initially, anyways, and people say, "Oh no, that's overrated." What about this problem? That problem? That problem? I'm like, yeah, you could point out the problems, or you could just like present alternatives. Like I think that makes for a better discussion as opposed to no, that sucks, and let me tell you why. Like, oh, but I liked it. Can you stop talking to me? There's a, there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of venting to be had. Yep. Yeah. I don't understand it though. I, I I understand that why comparisons are being made to, for example, to Skyrim because yeah. it is a BGS game. I get that. But I feel like comparisons are more fairly made to Fallout 3, even though it's a much older game. Like, for example, uh, the number of questing. Sorry? I'd agree with that, yep. Yeah, and I was going to say one thing with the questing. I've seen a lot of comparisons, people comparing the number of quests in Skyrim to the number of quests in Fallout 4. And I'm like, okay, compare that, fine. But if you actually look at Fallout 3's quest, which no one complained about, Fallout 4 has more quests in Fallout 3 plus its DLC combined. Fifty wow. more to be exact. I didn't. I honestly, I didn't. And and, and people don't really appreciate that because like, nah, you got to look at Skyrim oh. because that was BGS's last game and that had so many I quests. Also, I'm like, yeah, but I also it's... bring up the fact it's like how many quests from Skyrim do you remember versus how many you you find? I know Fallout Four just came out, so it's fresh in the brain. But like, in yeah, terms quality. of quality, like I know I'm going to remember a lot more from Fallout Four where Skyrim. I have great memories with that, but it was like moments in the world, like your first dragon, all that stuff, you know. Well, I think everyone remembers where like Fallout 4, 
the sarcastic dialogue when you go into Diamond City for the first time, meeting certain companions. Like, there's so many quality things in the game. It's like, I would take that... Uh, don't get me wrong, I want more quests, I'd love more content. It's, but, it's quality yeah, over like, quantity. I would take a more sound product over, you know, less stuff. It's just filler. I, I just feel... We should be comparing apples with apples, not apples with oranges. Mm. That, that's my thing, right? Well, and grapefruit. Elder Scrolls and Fall hit all that. Grapefruit. And they're, they're, just, they're two different games. Like, I don't necessarily care about how BGS created both. I actually think that comparisons between Fallout 4 and New Vegas would be more fair because they're the same IP. Different developers, but I think that's a fairer comparison to make. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> we would like to ask so anyways, um, second question. So I... I have to read this now. Uh, so, <laughs> Chris, Chris yes. you, were hev- you were heavily involved in the development of Fallout 2 and New Vegas. And from what I remember, Fallout 2, it was uh, Vault City and New Reno. Was that correct? Yeah, that, and the that- Raiders and uh, a number of the special yeah. encounters. Cool. So, obviously, Fallout 4, and we touched on this a little bit, is pretty much vastly different from these past titles. Do you think that these changes have been good for the franchise? And I know it's Bethesda, Fallout's their n- new baby now, and they want to take the the IP in the direction that they want to. Do you think that the changes that have been made, whether it's voice protagonists or the setting or just the way the story is told, do you like the changes? Do you think they're good for the franchise? Or would you like to see some of the older aspects of the game brought back? Well, um, to compare it to Fallout 2, I think Fallout 2 kind of went off the rails vision-wise. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I fucking love that shit. Here's some, here's some sex humor. Here's an inside joke, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it, it needed really sort of a, a creative lead to sort of hem that stuff in because the original Fallout 1 guys were really good about policing the theme. And then in Fallout 2, it was much more of a, a race to get all the areas done and people might have been having a little bit too much fun. Like Icewind Dale was kind of a lot like, a lot like that too. It's a lot, a lot of goofiness in there. The, um, so, but uh, for Fallout 4 and Fallout 3, I think Bethesda is doing a number of things right. Uh, the first thing is Fallout was always about exploration and the Bethesda yeah. game design aesthetic always lends itself to that and they just keep getting better and better about it. But what I liked about Fallout 4 was the fact that you actually could rebuild a community and you could customize okay, it okay. and you could make these settlements that were now your own and you felt like you were conquering and rebuilding more of the world, which I thought was, I mean, that that's not an easy design thing to do. And they, they put a lot of love and effort into it. I think that was, that was a good thing. I, I, I saw a lot of reviews online for people that just spent hours upon hours upon hours customizing their settlements. And that's, that's your way of customizing the world, and that it's it, that's a pretty large resource cost for any development team. And the fact they did that was uh, yeah, was yeah. great. And also, they I think they made the right call in that they developed fallouts and areas of the world that they were familiar with versus a California company um, because yeah. we're sort of more locked into the West Coast side of things. Like, oh well, you know, we can we can hop over to Vegas or wherever and actually do research there, quote unquote research. And but the fact that they chose like Washington D.C. and Boston, I think that allows the Fallout franchise to breathe more because it's kind of cool to see what's going on in those other cities in the world. Like it can't always be on the West Coast, and you want want to see other communities develop. And I I think that's a a really great direction for for them to do. And I'm I'm looking forward to see what they do next. Yeah. I think, well, and I want to comment on this real quick. Um, I, there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, it would be really interesting to see, like, a Fallout setting in another country. So, like, China or, you know, you know wherever the bombs had hit uh, on yeah. the other side. Um, the thing about Fallout is it always has that underlying patriotism to it. Americana. You know, 
Americana, exactly. So I, I feel like the, the, the setting is always going to be in America. You know, I could be wrong, but I, I think that's kind of where it's going to be. Because I've seen, I've had people ask questions about that, and I think we all have. You know, I know that, like uh, a lot of the questions I used to get way back when were always about what's going on in the rest of the Fallout universe, which is another yeah. I liked where Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 went because it showcased what was going on in the East Coast and it's building more of a world. Yeah. And, and a lot of people like myself, you know, are thinking, well, what happened in Canada? What happened? Well, we know a little bit of that, but what happened in Russia? What happened in China? These these major forces that also launched nuclear weapons. What happened in those areas? And because I'm from Australia, but even I still think that I really enjoy the Americana patriotism themes that underlie Fallout and that you know American setting. And I don't know how comfortable I would be personally if it was moved elsewhere. Um, I think you could do it in a form of a DLC or some sort of memory den thing like we were speculating with with Fallout 4. You could easily experiment with that. But I think the outcry would be huge with, you know, with regards to an interna- or more internationally themed Fallout. And I don't know how people would feel about that. And even me, I'm not from America, and I don't know how I'd feel about that. So. Well, uh, part of the research I did for Fallout was uh, the, that one book I got. I think it's called The Last Ship. Um, where it actually goes to Australia, and that's like the last area of the world that's slowly being drowned in radiation. And, oh. and reading that book actually made me wonder what it would be like to do Fallout there. Uh, I, I think that actually would be kind of interesting. Um, uh, so, that, but I, there is a lot of Americana. There is a lot of patriotism. Um, I think if the story is right, um, you could go explore other sections of the world, but I'm not. I'm not sure. What it would have to be just right. You would have to, yeah. you know, because you're going to get that argument that, like, well, would was Vault Tech in other countries? You know, you'd have to. You have to play it right now. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing you could play a Vault Tech. You know, think like a Vault Tech in like Italy or something like that. You know, you could you could have like really funny um, uh, <laughs> stereotypes worked into. The Vault Boy, you know, and and different perks <laughs> and stuff like that. Mario and, mustache. Well, honestly, <laughs> no, though, and and there there are things you can have fun with that, you know. Um, but it, it have like you said, Chris, well, it it have to be done right. I'll be honest, like the uh, the Fallout uh, Two crew at the outset, uh, they, I mean, uh, Tim Kane and Leonard Biarsky and Jason Anderson, mm-hmm. like the original Triumphant before they went over to uh, to found Troika. The, I I believe, as if I recall correctly, they they actually weren't going to expand Fallout across other countries. They were actually going to take Fallout into space. They're like, the next stage is to go to the moon and the galaxy. That's awesome. I was that like, actually makes me a little excited. A lot, though, there's this one part that I won't spoil because I know, Chris, you're not that deep in the game, but there is like hints of space exploration being done during the pre-war. Well, yeah, and but it, it makes that makes sense though because of the way the game, even in Fallout 3, it always had the, the, the kind of, you know, 50s obviously vibe to it um but you saw the uh the side the 50s sci-fi was big too you know and you yeah. see that when you look at, at in any of the games the the alien blaster it looks like it's from you know a 50s sci-fi comic yeah. you know and and it would make sense that they would mess with space at some yeah, point yeah but it's, i know a lot of people still attach a stigma towards like mothership zeta for example maybe yeah. that was just the way the dlc was executed as opposed to the space setting and Maddie doesn't like it. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I think, again, it could be, it's one of those things where it needs to be done right. I don't think the space setting in and of itself caused Mothership Zeta to be bad. I think it was just the content in it specifically. I thought, when, See, I remember when, 
when you were exploring in space and then you could see the planet. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It was breathtaking. Yeah, so the, the, they could the, explore that. The vistas in Mothership Zeta were pretty awesome. The mm. I, I guess one reason I liked it was because like I was getting a Time Bandits vibe for, vibe from it. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. Uh, I. I've never actually liked aliens in Fallout. I haven't, I've never liked the supernatural in Fallout. I'm always like, those things don't belong in this setting. This is much more yeah, of a, yeah, a yeah. human story uh, about what they imagine sci-fi to be like in the 50s. But please remove the aliens because that raises more questions than I think it should. Okay. Well, it, it, even in Mothership Zeta or something else, they implied that it was aliens that caused the Great War. Like, was that implication made? And I didn't, I didn't like that. Oh, I, no, I, I didn't like that either because I yeah. thought that ruined the whole humanocentric angle of how sad that entire situation was. Because if it was enforced or there was mind control involved, suddenly the reason the war started becomes trivial. Yeah. You're like, yeah, exactly. well, it, it wasn't a human decision anymore. And the fact that it's a human's desire for power and resources that, that drove this massive act of destruction, that is much more interesting to me than than aliens mind-controlling you. Yeah, and every major plot point, if the answer was, oh, aliens did it, I feel like that's a bit underwhelming. It's too easy. It's like saying it was all a dream. Yeah, yeah It was all a dream. the same line. <laughs> yeah, typical cliche. So looking, uh, I'm looking at the movie uh, Krampus when I say that. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, but don't waste your time. The movie was shit. Wait, wait you're saying that movie was like all a dream? I'm going to spoil yeah, it because ahead. if you haven't awful. seen Krampus, then the exit out of the thing. But uh, basically, Krampus eats the fucking, eats everyone in the fucking movie. And then the kid jumps in a big hole to hell and then wakes up in a dream. What you think is a dream. He's really just inside one of Krampus's snow globes. He wakes up on like Christmas morning and everything's okay. But it's like, uh... okay, that was fucking stupid. Well, okay, it, well, it, it happened with that. It happened with yeah. uh, the Call of Duty Black Ops Zombies ending. It happened with yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm I'm getting sick of this trope. That's because Five Nights at Freddy's is what it yeah, is. Yeah, no, but it's just an example of how people feel kind of just disappointed with that trope being thrown around. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that, f- like, I'm going to still stick with the fact that that was a non-canon ending or suggestion in Mothership Zeta. And I, hope I think that so, that too. Well, I th- also, I think the way they contacted that, uh, that little lore point was they actually raised the question that it may not have happened, but... Yeah. But... And I think that's, like, cut off right before before he actually makes the decision to actually uh. start the war. So, and, you know, at least they did that, but, uh, I, but I agree. Like, the, the question made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Noah, I know you want to ask question three, don't you? Uh, Yeah. Question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Question three. This is this is my question. Question three. You mentioned in your interview with Game Informer that Obsidian couldn't work on specific titles such as another Knights of the Old Republic. If you were able to continue on the code or two, what on code or two? I'm from what from, would you from, from 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 code or two? What would you have done with the game? So in Coder 2, uh, we included a lot of foreshadowing for where the third game could go. There was a lot of uh, not-too-subtle hints that Revan realized that perhaps both the Sith, I mean, sorry, the new Sith, uh, and the Republic were being manipulated into a conflict to weaken both. And uh, he then decided, because Revan's a master tactician, and he's kind of a genius, and an incredible lightsaber wielder. He's like a, he's like a player character, almost. It's kind of weird. Uh, and then uh, we thought it'd be cool to go, you know what? 
Revan decides that he's going to keep the infrastructure intact while he's waging war and prepare himself for the next war that's coming after it that he's starting to see emerge. And then the third game was intended that you go off with HK-47 and T3-M4 and begin to try and figure out where Revan went. And he goes to a very, very, very dark place where all these machinations were being formed and you actually get to meet the original Sith Lords and they are as, you know, as bad as some of the Sith can be like these guys have been doing this for a long time. And the, and the, and the scope of the evil things they, they have done when you emerge in the unknown regions is almost beyond comprehension. It's, it's, it's like, how the hell do I defeat this? But, you know, Robin still might be out there I and mean, make the right alliances and, you know, do the whole Star Wars thing and war. Are you saying there's a? Are you saying there's a chance? I wish. I I, I want a third one so bad. I can't even. Talk. Uh, you're talking to the right guy right now. You're, you're I feel like oh, oh, oh. I, you know, Kotor. Yeah, I've yeah. I I made a video during the Steam sale on why you must buy both the first and second games for this series, and like specifically for the Steam yeah, sale. Yeah, because like so many people kept messaging me because I talk about it on this podcast on a weekly basis. That's why you see like a couple of Star Wars questions in here because I talk about this game every week, and like people always ask me when it's on sale or just in general, should I buy this game? And I'm like, that's it. I'm making a video on. It. I'm making a, a. I made like a 16 minute video. Here is why this, these games are absolutely incredible. And, each in their own right. And, and when you do it, you can just share the link. You're like, I, you know, I don't even have the energy right now, but here's the link, and this will explain everything. <laughs> yeah, and that's a part of your videos. Uh, that, that first, that first Knights of Republic one, like I was like, oh my god, this is everything I love about Star Wars, and I love the story, I love what's going on. It's, you know, it's hitting all the right points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm crawling on the ocean floor in my fucking deep. <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't believe that shit. And that was cool. I'm like, oh my god, Malik's pretty cool too. I'm like, oh my god, Revan, all this, all this shit was great. I'm just like, and I got to the end, and then I'm like, oh, I got to make a sequel to this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> so, out of curiosity, I got to ask like another Code Sword three related question. You said like you're you're gonna travel through these dark depths of space with T three and HK. What other companions could have actually been included in this type of story? Because I, I, I cannot share that. Ah. that. That I'm sorry. All right, that's fine. That's fine. That was not on the list. So. Curveball question, Matty. We did have a way to fucking go, Matt. <laughs> I had to ask. Curiosity got the best of me. I had to ask. This is a question that has been on my mind for so long. I had to. Did, Chris, tell did, me all of your secrets did, about Kotal. Yeah, we did have a full, we did have a full companion list, and uh, I. They would have been a lot of fun yeah. to design. I, there would have been less companions than uh, Knights 1 and 2. Just because I thought 2 had too many, and it, it actually we didn't have the time to do all of them proper justice. I think having a smaller group of heroes that have more depth uh, ends up being a much better win for a game than just... Oh, I'm gonna do like twenty thousand different companions now, <laughs> and then you're like, well, they're all kind of shallow. It's funny you say that though, because I thought I've said before that I think Night Seal Republic Two had some of the best companions in a video game I've ever played. Like especially like Atten, how he kind of comes off as this typical space merc, but if you actually take the time and like go deep and like get to know him, and he starts like confiding in you all this stuff that he's done in the past, and like how he. What was he like an assassin of like Jedi, and he fell in love with one and felt guilty for like killing her or something like that? And it was just like, holy fuck, you know, that was just nothing yeah. I expected. You know, Atten was uh, my examination for if a if a normal non force user 
which actually wasn't appropriate. Uh, if a normal non-Force user had to kill a Jedi, how would he do it? Mm. And mm. Atten outlined every single technique to kill a Jedi. Like, you know, you threaten innocence. Uh, you make sure there's a lot of mental chaos going along. So Jedis have difficulty predicting what the future is. Uh, you do a lot of explosive attacks that their lightsabers can't adjust to. And he, he systematically laid out all the ways you should kill Jedi. Yeah. And uh, I actually yeah. tried to write a... Uh, a uh, short story for Clone Wars Adventures based on that, where General Grievous basically follows all that advice to kill Jedi. And Dark Horse came back to me and goes, look, this is just too dark. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, shit. Damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was, it, was, it was a fun examination of how maybe I personally would go after Obi-Wan Kenobi and murder him. <laughs> yeah, that's funny you say that, because I know, Noah, you, you love Grievous, Gen- right? General Grievous is one of my my his backstory is like one of my favorite things. I, I loved him in, in the uh, the really short Clone Wars adventures. I thought they did him really well. I didn't like yeah. him so much in the movie, but uh, his initial like those little like Samurai Jack shorts. I thought the way he fought the Jedi was just amazing and great. Well, and if you notice, there's a point where uh, he like they uh, Obi Wan kind of does a force like crunch on his lungs and that's why he has that cough no and i totally get it like i i i thought that was a really good way of setting it up and man yeah. before that point i thought they were doing grievous quite because like when you when grievous gets fought in uh, episode three i was just I was like oh really it's kind of just a letdown like who cares like but it could, in, it could have been so much more like just epic and you know yeah but those, those samurai jack guy shorts with how they, they really knew how to do the lightsaber battles we actually uh broke down each of the fight scenes like between Ventress and Anakin, and we're like, why is this so much cooler than the movies? Mm-hmm. Like, well, first off, she's using telekinesis in smart ways. Like, or when Mace Windu shows up, like he, he uses the force to cause sandstorms, and the, it's like they just did a lot of cool visual stuff that actually we uh, we researched for the uh, the third the third coder game because we actually wanted the player to to do Jedi battles like that because they just felt so much better. They felt it's so actually really crazy. cool. That is awesome. I, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear the process yeah. that you look at, and you know, you say, "Let you know." You looked at the episode, and you said, "What makes this?" You know, I, I'm, I'm, I write myself. Now it's not great. It's, it's other things as well. But it, it's just interesting and neat to see kind of the creative process that it, it, it goes through. Because you know, I'm sure it's applicable to a lot of the different games we play. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's really cool how yeah. you described how you wrote at, and it wasn't like, "Let me just make a." essentially a Jedi killer who's trying to turn his life around. Like, the way you say, like, how would I kill a Jedi? And then you build a character around that question. Mm. Um, which kind of leads into our, our next question, which, you know, talking about Night Zero Republic 2 and how I felt it had some of the deepest companions. Can you go in the process of creating some of the other ones in the cast? Uh, sure. Some of your um, favorites. You don't have to go through all that, but, you know. Uh, so, yeah, every just, single one. Take <laughs> no. it down in this PowerPoint. Um, yeah. So generally, so the first thing is you you always want to make sure that all the mechanics and systems and character movement sets are all defined for the game. Like you 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 know what the entire range of force powers are. Um, you know how uh, what what uh, what weapon skills or abilities a scoundrel gets. Like what are the prestige classes going to be? Because you need to know um, how to evolve each of these characters. And then also showcase each of those mechanics if the player doesn't uh, sort of specialize in that category. Like if they, if they never explore any of the scoundrel route or they never take like a, a prestige class, is there some other companion 
that showcases sort of the perspective of that class in the world and also the mechanics of that class. That's, that, that's the first thing. The, the next thing, and this is actually kind of like narratively boring. This is, this is the writing part, but it helps define what the character should be. The next thing you do is you have to make sure that that character is combat viable or system viable in some fashion because no player ever wants to journey with a companion that does not fight well or lets it down. <laughs> well, actually, that's why we get T through the shock thing. Ah, like, yeah. that shock is totally overpowered. And it's like, well, we probably should have toned that a bit, but he was great to have along because that shock blast was pretty effective, yeah. like, especially early on in the game. And um, so that, that's the next step. And then try and find uh, what... So there, there's an author, Blake Snyder. He wrote this book called Save the Cat, which uh, mostly applies to script writing. But when I read it, I'm like, wow, I wish more game writers would read this because he describes the idea of a log line, which is like, hey, what's the one sentence about this character that if you heard it, you'd want to know more about that character? Like, like so for Planescape, we had a lot of those. Like, uh, you know, this is a Puritan succubus. I would probably want to know more about how that situation developed. And then we had that for the, the characters as well, where Atten was kind of like, you know, at the outset, he seems like a very, very cliche Han Solo goof character. Yeah. But yeah. the trick is, you know, as a Jedi assassin, here's all the steps that he goes through to murder your kind. And you're like, oh, shit. OK, well, that's different. Um, but sometimes you want to figure out how to set up that, that end punchline for like, and, and even characters like Godo, which, uh, or G zero T zero, like even, even, even we had like hooks for him where like, I don't think he was one of the best characters ever, but I just thought it'd be interesting if the Republic had given a computer or an operating system, an impossible task, but that computer still felt the obligation to follow it through and if they ask you to do something impossible like save the Republic, the computer comes to its own decision. The best way to do that is become a crime lord. And that, so cool. that, that as a cool. log line was interesting to me as well as the fact that HK and T3 call him fat all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. What's up, fat one? He's like, oh. <laughs> well, it's not would be comical. Um, uh, also, just some things really quick. Uh, and uh, the com- the companion should always sort of be a sounding board for the theme of the game. So you should be able to like talk about uh, like what the overall arc of your character is not just theirs and they should also be supportive in some sense like they're not there to tear you down or make fun of your combat style they're there to lift you up and sort of point out the good things that you're doing and along those lines they should also be like really reactive like they should give you like immediate reactivity of things you do in the environment they should weigh in on stuff but they give you a sense that the people are paying attention to you and your party, and the world's kind of alive. So I think that's that's kind of an important thing. So anyway, those are some of the high-level stuff, but um, you, usually uh, a number of characters that I write asks try and ask questions that I have about the world or the franchise, and then I just try and dig as, as deep as I can into, into that aspect. Okay. Uh, then I gotta ask, because that sounds like a big process. You, you take a character, like I think, for example, uh, for my most recent playthrough of Night Seal Republic 2, uh, hand, your hand. most your most recent yeah out of like all 70 I've done I like 30 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say uh, yeah. you know you take Handmaid for example if you make certain decisions and you side with how do you pronounce her name is it Visus or Visus which way is it uh, uh, Visus Mar Visus okay you know when you start siding with Visus Handmaiden essentially just stops talking to you and is it hard as like a creator to write out this entire character and know that that player may not see 
all of handmaiden you know no uh, not a problem at all in fact what what the the goal is there is to make you realize that your choices matter in big ways and then when people two people who have played differently have the conversation about oh well I, you know i sided with handmaiden versus visas mar then they have a conversation about how those character arcs went and then suddenly they realize how much reactivity was present and as a role-playing game designer that's what you want what i figured because you know that that was one of the things like uh because it was only you know i i'll admit i i played a lot of the knights of the republic one more than two until two got the update and then i started playing this game obsessively and really digging deep because i felt the achievements if i'm honest brought to light some of the secrets in the game that i had no idea existed and so i start digging into these companions and stuff and finding out you can turn basically all of them into jedis and and really go deep and learn who they are and, uh, you know, I was really impressed with the, the depth of these characters and, and, you know, like I said, how you, like, can cut off either Thesis or, or a Handmaiden or whatever, you know, it, it was it was really impressive. That uh, that Total Restoration mod, I you know, I can't, I've, I've said this before, but I really can't thank those guys enough. Uh, and, and to this day, I'm really glad that we left uh, left content in the game. But, it, but it's not like they were just restoring content. Like, they were adding uh, really cool design stuff as well. And I, I, I'm just really thankful. That I, I really wish we'd have the we'd had the time to do that. That would have been welcome. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's unfair. Is it? You know, then I, I have to ask. Being in crunch time as a game dev, this is a bit of a, a curveball. So if you don't want to answer this, totally fine. But it is way to fucking go. No, I'm just, I, I'm I have to ask because <laughs> a lot every of, time. No, but I'm saying because a lot of people, you know, wonder as a game dev when you're in that crunch time. In a sense, if that's not the right term, correct me. But you know, what's What's that like, you know, feeling like you're on this timer and then when you release, for example, Night Zero Republic 2, having stuff that you wish you could put in left out, you know, what does that essentially feel like, I guess? Um, well, the first thing is uh, I, I never, um, well, in, in, I guess in modern thinking of, of development, I, I never really consider that stuff left out, okay. uh, at least in more recent games. I always consider that stuff as DLC opportunities or, or, or things you can incorporate in the sequel. Uh, with Knights of the Republic 2, though, uh, that was painful. Um, but I, I should have... So, so looking back and sort of doing a post-mortem of, of what I could have done better, um, from a design aspect, quite honestly, like, I, I just should have stepped back and said, what do people really love about the first game? Like, do they really love Pazak? Like, do they really love like, you know, pod, you know, doing the, the racing games? Because we 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 spent a lot on those, and I, I don't know if they really shined. Uh, so well, that's the thing, like, not to interrupt you, but like the achievements brought to light some of the secrets you put on, uh, like for example, Narshada with like the Bazak Den and all that stuff. You know, that was stuff I never touched originally. But I went in, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. You can like fight the, against this leader of the Bazak Den and like you know get his secret card and get an achievement for it. I thought stuff like that was really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. I, it's, I, what, if I had done things differently, I would have cut out cut out all the mini games, mm-hmm. uh, and I would have made less companions, and then uh, realized that the date was never really negotiable. So therefore, always always shoot for that date and don't roll the dice and hope that people f- see things the way you do. So that was kind of it. And it, it's a it's a tough lesson, but it's just you know it's all a matter of approaching scope and. Uh, I I just basically should have, should have done a lot less. And I the weird thing is like I I feel bad because in previous games that has proved itself out. Like when we were doing like Planescape Torment, we had a choice. We're like, oh my god, do we do we make as many companions in Baldur's Gate One? 
And then we're like, well, we really can't. Like, we can. We don't have the resources to do that. But that didn't. I don't think that hurt the companions. I think it just made sure the the roster was smaller. But then people really enjoy them because then okay, well, we're just adding more depth to these guys. So, in the future, it's always a mind to take a step back. We don't need to throw everything into the game. Just focus on smaller things of higher quality. Did that same line of thinking apply to uh, New Vegas as well? How you guys only had a little bit of time to work on that? Do you feel the same? Because I'm sure everyone listening really appreciates that you wanted to do. You know, you think more is better. I know you might think in retrospect that wasn't the right choice, but. I think we can all sit here alone. I think you'd agree that we were really happy to have a writer like that who just wants to fill their games with as much as they can. So don't blame yourself. But, you know, did this same line of thinking kind of happen with New Vegas or do you just kind of shoot for the date more with that one? Um, well, I wasn't in charge of the uh, the management or scope for New Vegas. Uh I I feel that we had enough time to do that title. And I also think Bethesda was very respectful of our time. Uh, what I did appreciate was, so I was in charge more of the scope for the the DLC content for New Vegas, and I was actually able to head up uh, three out of four, three out of five of those. Like one was, I think one was a weapons pack. That, however, was great because Bethesda gave us very clear scope parameters. Like, hey, you can only have like ten thousand lines of VO dialogue across all four DLCs. Like, uh, you know, you're you're guaranteed to do four of them, which was d- totally. A shocker because we're never actually ever guaranteed to do a sequel on any game. But once you realize you can do four DLCs and that's just going to happen, suddenly you can start foreshadowing stuff a lot more and making all that DLC content a lot more interconnected. And that was a lot of fun to do. I, I had a blast with that. So, which DLC did you uh, head up specifically? Uh, I headed up uh, a Dead Money, which in some respects was unfortunate, in some respects I really enjoyed. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I still I still see the rage quit posts. So. And, and I was gonna say I was like, it's uh, it's I guess got tired of the stem pack headshot method, and I'm just like, you know what? Uh, how, if these players have finished New Vegas and they have like done 200 hours, then I will give you a different challenge. And it's there are there that, are, that's saying putting it lightly there, Chris. <laughs> uh, I challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, destroy your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then uh, I did uh, Old World Blues and uh, and Lonesome Road, and that, those were the uh, f- Old World Blues. I I could hug you for because foot penises. I, fucking, I loved. <laughs> That DLC because fing- it was finger penises. Oh, was that what it was? And I, <laughs> I did a penis. I did a playthrough of that on my my YouTube oh, I channel. Oh, Family Guy. And, uh, John Foot Penis. I, all right, <laughs> and I named I named one of the the episodes finger penises after that. So, so oh, bravo, we, sir. We we had a lot of fun designing that. We actually thought that might be the uh, the DLC that was hated the most uh, but oh, then everyone really seemed to enjoy it and I think I think honestly it just was the humor oh yeah yeah absolutely I, I think Lonesome Lonesome Road was definitely my favorite yeah. that shit was awesome Lonesome Road was really cool yeah do you know why I like Lonesome Road because it took us back to that desolate you know unforgiving wastelandy aspect mm-hmm. of, of Fallout that I really enjoy um, I know that Old, Old World Blues is considered to be probably the pinnacle DLC. I think it's widely regarded as the best. But yeah, but Lonesome Road was definitely my favorite. I just love the atmosphere there. Because they're, they're kind of, uh, they're vastly different in my opinion, where, you know, you, you look at Old World Blues as kind of like this open area that's almost like a mini Fallout where you can explore all these locations yeah, and get yeah. quests and stuff, where yeah, uh, Lonesome Road's like a more narrative-driven kind of thing. Yeah, well... It, it, which was kind of a challenge because I, I don't think that was the right call for Lonesome Road. I think uh, okay. 
that that idea of a of a more linear experience doesn't really fit with Fallout. Uh, I will say that I, I think I got convinced by uh, the art team that they could create far better visuals and a, a look to the world if things were a bit more confined. And I probably should have said no to that and go, that's not what a Fallout player wants. Um, I think there were a lot of opportunities to actually turn Lonesome Road into more of an open world experience. And I do regret it a little bit. Um, okay, okay. So that, that, that's something that always kind of weighs on me. Yeah, I still loved it though. Like out of actually all the DLC, that was definitely my favorite. And I think, I don't know, DLC... Um, I think provides the scope to do something a little bit different. Um, and I know that's typically not what Fallout is, but it's a DLC and it's an additional content. So you essentially have the choice to whether you want to play it or not. And I like the experimentation in, in Lonesome Road. I actually really like it. You know, actually, that, and that's what I love about those DLC packs. They're like, they were like telling short stories where you could just test out things like that, like new weapon yeah. designs. A lot of the content's already done. Um, so therefore, you can just focus on, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on the fun factor because the actual game engine is, is largely wrapped up. And that, and that yeah. was kind of refreshing because you could just tell a story in that universe. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on to the next question now. And so this is news that I think started in July of uh, last year when you left Obsidian Entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. So I was got I was got that correct. Um. And that was a bit of a surprise. And <laughs> You're right, so, alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. All right. I, I remember that. I was like, oh, that's a, it's a it's a shock. Um. And then you went to work on Larry uh, with Larian Studios on Divin- Divinity Original Sin two. Um. And then you've been involved heavily with like um publicly funded projects so what made you choose that studio in particular and what was appealing about them to an experienced writer such as yourself oh so there's a few things uh so one is i didn't realize was an opportunity until a website called rpg codex uh started a uh, chris avalon employment agency (laughs) and they actually they actually i think uh flooded larian with requests to uh, uh, have me work with them, and I, I, the requests were so many. I think that the uh, the creative director uh, 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 Sven, he's like, okay, well, I, are you if, if you're at Pax Prime and you want to grab dinner, let's talk about this. And we had a, a, a you know a, a great conversation. I'm like, wow, okay. I, from an RPG standpoint, I, I agree with almost everything he's saying. And also, what I liked is when I played Original Sin two. A mechanic that I thought wouldn't work, uh, I was completely proven wrong. And then I got really excited because I, then I realized, oh, I'm probably wrong about a whole bunch of other things. And then I'm like, and this game will give me an opportunity to learn about, the, about those aspects of design. And I the idea of the player, yeah, the player characters, they all have their own different agendas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're all, you're never exactly sure what the other players want. And if they're companions, you're never exactly sure what they want. But it, they create a, it creates a really interesting dynamic while you're exploring the world, and I think uh, I've been enjoying that. Um, also, they have a lot of writers at Larian, which is great because you can. It sounds strange, but even in Obsidian um, and Black Isle, we didn't have a ton of writers that just focused on writing. At Larian, they have much more. So the the amount that you can kick around ideas and learn new aesthetics and approaches for characters has been really just, just eye-opening. It's been, we spent uh, like the last few weeks like uh, iterating on the story and iterating on the story and, and seeing new ways to sort of highlight player agency moments has been just fantastic. I'm really enjoying myself and I'm learning a lot too, which is a bonus. That's cool. Have you, so so that, you, you played the first one then, right? Uh-huh. What did you think of it? 
Um, I thought I, I really I liked it. Um, what I also what I really liked was I felt that the level design they included so many cool elements of how to manipulate the environment that I wasn't used to seeing a lot of other RPGs. And, I, and you know, it, it might sound kind of kind of basic, but the idea of moving objects yeah. like on the level to sort of uh, either like uh, you know you know blow away structures or I felt like there was, there was much more of a, a system based puzzle option when exploring those environments, which was which was really good. Sure. And also the combat uh, felt pretty tight to me. I enjoyed that. And uh, the dialogue system was one that I was used to, um, but the quests were different than I was used to. So I, I kept getting sort of like re, re-engaged with a sort of classic system because like, I, I wasn't as familiar with how this, how this franchise approached quests. Which is, so overall, I was really enjoying myself. Cool, cool. Yeah, because I got – I can check my Steam profile, but I, I think I hit like around 30 hours and I kind of stopped because up until – Fallout One and Two, I, I I always had so much trouble, but like I've slowly come around to them, getting into the more old school fashion games. I guess you could call them top down. I submit. Well, it's a it's a change when you're used to, um, you know, n- new games, and I say that meaning you know the old school style is is it it's different. It's not as like fleshed out. You know, the there are some interesting ideas sometimes thrown in them. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, it, it's like yeah, it like threw me off because like I remember in Divinity: Original Sin, that was like one of the first top-down isometric games I'd, I'd played, and like the idea of getting like a bunch of quests and then kind of doing different things in the world, and like later on in the game you'd complete those quests because you'd end up in like the town where you needed to go to complete this quest or whatever. Just like my mind wasn't ready for that and like i'm like trying what do you mean i beat the yeah, quest like, I, cause I was so used to like i don't want to say instant gratification because i'm just not that type of person but i was so used to being able to pick up a quest and be like this is the quest i want to do and go out and do that but like with divinity it was like no you kind of have to do like this area level up a little bit then you can go around up the map over to this corner and like you'll end up in this new area that loops around over here, and then you can do the rest of that side quest up there. Oh, what I love about the, the Bethesda open world is, like, the freedom to make that choice is great. Yeah, and I, You're just I, like, I was so I dependent on that. Quest, and, and the world will let me do it, and now I feel like I can breathe. Like, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, but it's not to say that Divinity was a, a bad game. I was just wondering if I was the only one who was kind of, like, not constricted, because it's, it's a very free game for the type of game it is. You know, you can really say and do what you want. Like, I love that when you're in conversation with people, you can, like, switch characters and they all have their own, like, dialogue branches and yep. different things they can say and different skills for dialogue to, like, make them either intimidating or persuasive. Like, that was awesome to me, you know? So I'm really excited to see what happens with 2. I think it's one of those things where you've grown up, essentially, playing a certain specific type mm-hmm. of game. For me, it's a lot of, you know, first-person shooters, not a top-down game. So when you switch gears like that, especially to older games that have their own you know, set of mechanics and, and ideas. Well, and that's, that, that's kind of what I was trying to say before, yeah, but yeah. failed at articulation. So, and that's why a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can't get into Fallout 1 and 2. I'm like, yeah, well, it's not because they're bad games. They're phenomenal games. They're just very different to what you're used to. So mm-hmm. unless you sit down and really commit and put the time in to try and actually enjoy them, then it, it's very hard just to... To, to get into them in general. That's why it took me very long to get into Fallout 1 initially. I bought about five hours into it, then I put it away, and then I'm like, you know what? I'll try get into it again. Then I paid, played a bit of Wasteland 2. So it, it, there is a bit of a, I guess, a curve. But if you commit the time, then they're definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that the, these types of games 
like Wasteland 2, Divinity Original Sin, uh, I think it's the Enhanced Edition, like have made their way to consoles. You know, I think that's really cool that they've, and not only that, but I believe both those games were, were crowdfunded, so it's kind of cool to see them get so much support that they've been able to get like physical disc-based releases in stores, yeah. and, and I think that's awesome to see. Yeah, yeah and, and that's a big deal too. Yeah. Yeah. When I mm-hmm. when I first played Original Sin, it was actually on a console, and I was actually uh, I was impressed by how the controller could handle all the usual old school RPG options, which is usually the big blocker because usually the the old school you need your keyboard mm-hmm. there to hit all to hit all the different buttons and functionality. Mm. I don't know. It, it could be something that I know people might disagree with me, but imagine having a gamepad like with the Wii U. That could be a, a, a cool concept to implement. I, I would like to see more you know, traditionally styled RPGs like your Wasteland 2 or whatever try to be moved over to the console because a lot of people are missing that out on those experiences and unless you have a gaming PC, people don't really get to experience that. So people don't really get to experience the older style Fallout and, and Wasteland and Divinity, Divinity Original Sin. So I would like to see consoles embrace that a little bit more even though the, the, control, the control aspects are very hard to implement. That's the thing, it's cool. Not only are they, they like when they enhance these games like they don't just up the graphics like i know with when we had uh, kato genesis on um and he was talking about wasteland 2 when it came out for consoles i forgot what edition that was what they called it but you know it was really cool that they added like almost all the lines were voiced now like i think that's like a really awesome addition because they know yeah. that uh how do i word it without sounding like an asshole but like <laughs> when you play those type of games and you don't think of consoles but like when someone takes a chance on them like having more voice acting and stuff makes the game more interesting because some people are all about like, I don't like to read, I just want to play the game. It's not a real fucking book, you know? So, <laughs> so, you know, I think that's like a cool change that they made. Um, but how was your time working with Wasteland 2, Chris? I, I know that a lot of people have become kind of a cult classic, especially the original Wasteland. And when it came back or when it was announced that it was being 2? crowdfunded. No, yeah, I did. Oh shit! Of course he um, did, you know. I swear, I didn't. I, I'm like, look, like, <laughs> did you know? Like, did I miss that? I guess I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, and talking with uh, Brian Fargo and the team, uh, I I wrote the uh, the vision document. Uh, I worked with them on the storyline for the game, uh, and then. Uh, I did design for three areas, which had a lot of variations depending on how quickly you got there because something could just get destroyed if you didn't get there fast enough. I did like the uh, the Ag Center, which is also in Wasteland 1, and then High Pool, which is also in Wasteland 1, but they evolved in Wasteland 2. Those are the beginning areas, right? Like where you make your first like key choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that was interesting because I, I, that was the first time I think I'd gotten been able to get back to the isometric level design perspective. I hope one day I can share those design documents because there was a, a difference between the uh, the dock and the implementation. So the, uh, but I think I think I understand why the implementation was done. The and then uh, also I did like a few of the later areas in the game, which I'm not sure made it in, but I did like the uh, the synth refinery and um, a few other things. But I actually hauled out all my all my old architecture tools and sort of like drawing out all the maps and coloring them in and That's seeing really how the player cool. would navigate through it and checking all the skills. And yeah, that was I was having a blast. Hmm. Was that was that one of your first experiences with a crowdfund funded project, or did you have any experiences before that? Uh, I, I actually, that may have been the very first one. And, uh, I think because Brian Fargo saw a blog post that I did about how much I love Wasteland 1, I think then he was like, hey, well, maybe there's an opportunity here that if you can get involved, we'd, we'd like that. And so I think he, he, uh, he talked to Obsidian. They were willing to, to, to whore me out for a while. 
Um, yeah, I was going to ask about that because you were still with Obsidian, but you're essentially doing freelancing work for another. He did company. it under the table. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone at Obsidian. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. I, 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 if I recall correctly, that was my first experience. Yeah, and I, I was amazed that we could share some of the stuff about the game that we normally couldn't because you can't share a vision. Yeah. For a game like any any PR department at a major publisher, would like be fuck no. You're all, <laughs> we're gonna hold on to this till until right to sell it to the public, and if they don't like it, we're gonna find a way to make them like it. Versus <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> you know the crowd, crowdsourcing. You ask about it all up front. Where you're like, would you guys actually want to see this? And like, yep. and, and sometimes like, thank God if they say no, because you're like, oh, thank God, and have a programmer waste you know half a year of their life and playing this feature that people didn't want. In the- well, and that's one of the interesting things about crowdfunding and just indie games and, and that whole section of video games in general is that it is much more intimate, you know, and you can ask those kind of questions. You know, EA is not going to be like, hey, by the way, you know, like they're not going to ask us. You know, like, it's not, it's not, Do you like the graphics happen. for Star Wars? Yeah, players. Yeah, like, like, what do you guys say about this? No, no, no. They're just going to be like, yeah, let's do that. Whereas, you know, like you had mentioned, it's it's much easier, you know, in a Kickstarter or whatever crowdfunding thing you're using. You know, you can kind of list the different things and maybe show them in a YouTube video and see if, you know, how people react to them. And uh, I think that's a really cool. Yeah. Early on in the process, you can do that. So say, for example, um, EA with Star Wars Battlefront showcase some of what they were doing initially imagine some of the responses they could have gotten that they could have fixed with that game but no it's it just came out and then people said oh we don't really like this so that's definitely the benefit with the crowdfunding or crowdsourcing especially with stretch goals and all that yeah with crowdsourcing too it's like well if your idea is shit the players will let you know almost immediately so oh, they'll, they'll let you know <laughs> maybe you should figure out why your idea is shit and then reapproach yeah. it or just realize that maybe it's just not what people want well even with, with modding, you can see what people like and what mods bubble to the top and then implement those, which is exactly what you did with yeah. New Vegas. Yeah. People are big fans of nudity, you know. Yeah, they always the, like That nude mod pops up so fast. Not only are they the most downloaded, they are the most endorsed. People pay people to, to, to fucking make naked models. I want to see a dick in my game. Yeah, like, you know, a some cocks. Like, oh, sick, dude. Like, I don't... <laughs> Yeah. Are you talking about Noah? You're talking about Noah, aren't you? Yeah, basically. <laughs> there, there, are, there are so many nude mods to the extent that the Nexus website actually has a, a filter category for it. So you can like not see them because you're just like, oh yeah, nude, nude, nude. This is a not like, safe web- website. I remember sharing on my Twitter, I deleted it because I didn't want to get like banned for nudity. But like there was like immersive pubic <laughs> hair. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> really? Like what the fuck? Who, who thinks about that that deeply? That's I picture the person who has like Blender or three, you know, Maya open, whatever three D modeling they're using, and like their mom walking in and like shit, mom, you know, like, you know, mom, play video game. I'm working here, <laughs> you know, like uh, that or like I said when we talked about this previously, someone asked you, "Hey, what'd you do today?" Oh, dude, I modeled some in-game pubes. Yeah, I did. Or even Great even day. with New Vegas, oh, I, I modeled some, you know, sex mods so you can actually have sex with NPCs in the game. Well, that's just great. I'm going to go away now and not talk to you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, but, I, I, uh, to some degree, I guess, like, it's immersive if, like, you take off your clothes, you're actually naked. It's not immersive. Like, no. It's a game. I don't, <laughs> There's no I reason for it. I don't get it. Like, why isn't... 
Like the settlement expansion mod. Why isn't that number one? Someone took the time to take like all the assets and fall out for yeah. it and make it so that you can build yeah. crazy settlements. Why is that not the number one most fun? What mod? was why? Why what was the, game, the number one? What was the indie game that came out a couple weeks or like months back that had nudity? Was it the forest? Yeah. Matt. Oh yeah, I remember. Or, I got a picture on my Facebook page, man. Yes. I posted a like I posted like a, a way back like when it first came out like alpha early like alpha. Yeah, like I posted it like a picture of a screenshot. I was like, today's video is gonna be interesting, and it was like, like it was a face cam video. I had like a shocked face, and all you saw were boobs. And like I got that picture like deleted on my page. Like this is a warning that you can't do. I'm like, oh shit! Like I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Who knew you couldn't put nudity on Facebook? I just didn't think of it that way because I knew it was a video game, and I I didn't think Facebook had like detectors for it's it's still nudity. They're always watching. They're always watching. And it was funny, I was, I was watching this random uh, YouTuber, I can't remember his name, but he used the Wayback Machine for the Legend of Zelda website, and that used to be a porno website, and it was a YouTube stream, and it got t- taken down straight away. So they'll, they'll crack down on you for stuff like that, because he didn't even know. When you use the Wayback Machine, it just takes you to an older version of the website. So as soon as it popped off in Unity, he got, he got shut down straight away on YouTube. Wow. So, don't, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I didn't plan on it, but wow. Yeah. Um, so next question. Oh, hold on, no, hold on. I have a question for you, Lon. What the, f- what's a nong? Nong. Nong. What? So apparently it's a British term for like... racial slur. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not. This went south. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Anyways, what, what is it, Lon? My, my girlfriend's trying to explain it to me. What's, what's nong? Oh, come on. I, I don't know. I just use the term. So you it, just it sounds... openly called me that without you just knowing says it. what it is. <laughs> If I just if I just threw out harsh terms, loan, do you know the like I'd be arrested in like six minutes. No, you know what? It's the it's the Australian thing. I recently tweeted out, oh, when you just get Macca's Brecky, and people are like, I need an Australian to English translator. I'm like, what the hell is that? McDonald's breakfast. It's McDonald's in Australia. Yes. What is it called? Macca's. We call them Macca's. Mackers. Is it still <laughs> called McDonald's, like on the it sign? Is. And why, well, why the fuck? McDonald's? <laughs> why why can't you just be simple? Oh, well, no, it? but some Mackers, or say some McDonald's, actually have Mackers on the M sign. So is it like <laughs> when I say Mickey D's? Or no? Is it... Yes, exactly. Uh, no, exactly. Oh, okay. and, and Noah, I'd, and in Australia, it's not Burger King. It's it's Hungry Jacks. Hungry Jacks. God damn it! Hungry Jacks. That's as uncreative as it Boy, when Burger King finds out that Hungry Jack has hijacked their logo, they are gonna... <laughs> What about Wendy's then? Is there a Wendy's in Australia? I don't think. Do we have It's a called Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have a Wendy's here, Kentucky actually. We, we, have... um... we, we call that KFC. <laughs> we don't call it. Kentucky. All right, cool. Me too. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah, why did you say the whole thing? No, I've never met anyone who just calls it Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's always I'm different. Fucking, I, very, I have not eaten there in, in, since. Guys, want to go to Kentucky Halo Fried Chicken? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell uh, the American accent really comes out. Kentucky Fried Chicken. chicken. <laughs> talking about me or, or no? Yeah, I'm talking about you. Uh, I have an accent. Yeah, we do. Boston, you Boston. do have an accent. Boston. Boston. Yeah, yeah, Chris, if you don't know, we make fun of Maddie in the way he says Boston. Actually, Chris, you had a bit of a Boston when you said Boston before. Did I really? Uh, yeah, you I'm did. still, still trying to get away from the uh, the Virginian slang. Like, shoo-wee, shucky darn, and slap the chicken. <laughs> 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 hey, what's, hey, y'all, what's up? <laughs> I don't know. 
God oh, damn it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Is, is that how Australians sound? Like, do we sound that foreign? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 95% of the time alone, I have no idea what you're saying. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just glad it's you're just, it's just noise. excited about everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's excellent. Oh, we got the Mackeys! You know, it's just like, all right. <laughs> Whoa! Who got shot? Like, nobody. I'm talking about McDonald's. Oh my god, you sound like somebody got shot. <laughs> dingo took me, baby. <laughs> the dingo took me, baby. <laughs> That's one of my uh, favorites. All people tweet out to me nowadays are like pictures or videos of kangaroos. I got tweeted out. I, 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 I go on my Instagram almost like, and every day someone's like, whoa. And I'm like, what? And like, face reveal. And I like click on it. And it's a kangaroo on some like history channel fucking Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, and then you're standing there like, that's fucking great. You know, it's, it's like. I've seen it, guys. <laughs> I will say one one slang slang Australian expression that threw me when I got there was uh, someone offered to shout me a beer. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, yeah. I don't think you need to shout for me. I could just go get one. <laughs> so you another, another, yeah. one <laughs> another one that throws people off. You guys, you call them flip flops. Yeah. Right. Or flip flops. We call them thongs. We call them, we call them thongs. Mate, you yeah. can't do that over here. <laughs> and, but also, but also, you have the the word fanny confusion too, which also kind of throws yep. us off of yeah. I've got some thongs on me feet. Yeah, like, I guess it makes sense in the, like, when you put them side by side, I guess, but, like, why? Because, no, we know what you guys call them, so it, so it just doesn't make you comfortable over there saying thongs when you talk about your, your flip-flops? Yeah. What do you guys call thongs, though? Yes. Flip-flops. Yeah, I was about to say flip-flops. <laughs> put on my flippy floppies. Babe, you look great in those flip-flops. And it's really just, you know... Stop looking at me, bum. Yeah. <laughs> if your underwear were called flip-flops, I think you should purchase some new underwear. <laughs> or, or hit the gym more often. <laughs> what, what are they called, uh, man? I don't know. That's... Underwear? I, I don't have experience with, with calling... Your girlfriend doesn't have a thong loan. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> he fucking looked drained in a camera. <laughs> Next question! Yeah, Moving yeah, on! Of course. In the of, course. <laughs> of course. Yes! No, right. I'll ask the... <laughs> uh, we're on number six. Wait, what, what number is it? I'm sorry. Six? Uh, <laughs> was the jump from G- leaving a secure job at Obsidian for a team that creates games via Kickstarter an intimidating choice for you? No, uh, because it was like going from one Kickstarter to another. Really? And uh, also there was the advantage of, well, now I have even a new spectrum of writers and more writers to speak with about how they approach writing RPG storylines. So it wasn't intimidating. It was just kind of, uh, it just seemed like an interesting thing to approach. So I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go do that. Life short. But you still have like a you know, dedicated salary and stuff. So it's still secure in that sense. But it's, it, I know, I, I guess if you look at video games in general, they're, they're essentially a, a form of crowdsourcing. I mean, a, a developer's not going to be public, uh, popular unless they have, people that buy their games now it's just a different form of funding how that works but you still you still get the money from the sales and it's just another form of income even when you look at um i can't pronounce this ever but shenmue shenmue Shenmue, whatever the i always said shenmue growing up but i guess it's shenmue which bothers but even like that or psychonauts right they, they they have different types of funding coming in with shenmue they have funding coming on from sony but they also have the the kickstarting aspect of it so i guess it, it 
it, it's not all that different. W- would you agree or disagree with that, Chris? Uh, I've actually known people whose Kickstarters have failed, but because they raised so much of a community and they got close to their goal, that then they were approached about publishers because then the publishers saw that there was actual genuine interest in the type of games that the guy that they were pitching. Um, so I, I asked again, what I love about Kickstarter is just that I feel like so much time is saved by asking the players if they would want a game like this and then getting their feedback. And I think uh, that's a different model than I was used to uh, earlier. Yeah. Where does that, one else- where does that, process end where you you know you you don't give the players feedback like with story choices and stuff is it just gameplay focused or you know would you say how would you guys like i don't know like a a big twist you know i I doubt you'd say something like that but you know where does the the where does it stop when it comes to like getting feedback i guess is what i'm asking well sometimes it just comes uh from if if you have a certain theme that you want for the game like okay well you know if i'm if, you know if i did a crowdsource like knights of republic 3 uh if anyone if anyone had come in and said well you know we don't want uh really deep companions in this game even though i like star wars at that point we would probably put our you know put our foot down politely but give them a a detailed answer as to why we think that's important in a star wars game or if for example in that crowdsourcing campaign we're like well we're, we're not going to have many games and then we feel strongly about that as a developer, and we were willing to defend that decision, and very unlikely to ever back down from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't want to pay for the game as a result, right, we totally understand. But usually, when you're when you're pitching a game, there are th- certain things you feel strongly about, and as long I think as you can explain uh, in detail to the person who has the issue, other people will pick it up. And the, who agree with it, and the, and from then on, actually, they're willing to help help defend and, and sort of promote that point, so that other people don't generally have that question. And if people just genuinely don't like it, then they don't have to they don't have to contribute, which is fine. I mean, that's the way it kind of should be. Mm. It is a very interesting aspect, but you touched on you know some Kickstarter campaigns that have failed, and the most vivid example for me was some of the ex Bioshock devs with Day for Night Games. They had a really interesting concept. Oh, yeah. I think it was called. Black mask or black, black glove or something or like glove, yeah. it, I think it was black glove or something, something like that. and that failed and it was a really interesting concept and now they were looking for an angel publisher to come and essentially save that game. That was um, a, it was a really beautiful game. Yeah, yeah. I tried helping but, promote it. And I think I backed no the first game I backed was Shenmue because like I played that shit mm. growing up and then when they were like Shenmue three I'm like yes finally. <laughs> I, <laughs> everyone's going crazy about that, and I'm like, "What is what is Shenmue?" Uh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> one thing I get that like you're definitely not the only one on that shit. Definitely not like that. That game, I don't want to say it's a niche because it was such a big Kickstarter, but uh, it was a huge Kickstarter. It was there's massive. There's no way it was a niche for how much support it got. I guess not. But I guess it's kind of like a cult classic kind of thing. Yeah, I'm just a, right? I'm really fr- yeah, yeah, that's probably the best way of putting it. Because it was such a weird thing. Like, the first one came out on Dreamcast, and then the second one comes out only on the Xbox and ends with a cliffhanger, and then, like, a decade later... Never like, anymore. Yeah, yeah, a decade later, you're like, there's no way they're doing a third. Like, who gives a shit? And then they come out on stage, you're like, we're doing a Kickstarter for it. Yeah, go find it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. And then I just call my computer, I'm like, okay, here we go. And everybody who loved it is now making a lot more money, and they're like, "Oh, I loved that game when I was younger." And they're like, "And I'm going to give all my extra fun money now to this." <laughs> that's, that's very true. All right. Well, actually, the next one is a Star Wars question. So, Maddie, you can ask the Star Wars question. Have you seen Episode Seven, Chris? 
I have. All right, cool. Let's talk about that a little bit. Was it to you? <laughs> Wait, we need a we need a warning, people. Spoiler warning. Exit. Spoiler Didn't warning. Actually, right, if right. you guys don't mind, I was gonna set a timer and say for the next two minutes, I'm gonna go in depth about Star Wars Seven. Yeah, and I got you. Just advance, advance it timer. two minutes. All right. Okay, I'm gonna go. On. If he doesn't want spoilers. Matt's going to set it. I have the, right. the stopwatch. Someone do a countdown. When you, All right. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Kylo I did not like. I thought he was a whiny pretty boy. Uh, I also <laughs> thought his character's silhouette for his armor, even though it was respectful of the Darth Vader uh, classic uh, look. It When he had his hood down, he just looked like a big puss. Um, and I, I just didn't respect him. I, I loved Ray. I liked her backstory. I sensed her desperation and her struggle for survival. thought she was great. I initially hated BB-8 before the movie came out. I liked him again when the movie started, but I thought there was too much fan ass kissery with BB-8 going up to star R2 and like, beep, boop, boop. Like, hey, I'm the new R2. Oh, R2 respects me. I'm like, fuck this. Like, R2's, R2's always going to be more badass than you, BB-8, even though I kind of like you too. Um, I like I like the new story. Fucking ping pong ball. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling around, you big fat droid. Yeah. Um, I like the new stormtrooper designs. I hated the droid, uh, the droid commander stormtrooper. I thought that was dumb. Uh, Fen was all right. I thought Han Solo was was pretty much great. Overall, the pacing of the movie was fucking bad. I, like I hated Into Darkness, um, even though I, I thought I was going to like it. And but I can always respect J.J. Abrams for the pacing of the movie. I never got bored. Um, the new Death Star I thought was dumb. Um, yeah. And the Snoke, I'm like, who the fuck cares? And Poe Dameron, I'm like. I'm not sure you're a character. Like, I don't even know. You're just kind of this thing. I'm like, you. hopefully you get more depth later on. But overall, I really liked it. I thought it was a good, just a great Star Wars movie. I, I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm like, man, that was pretty good. Anyway, that's my, that's my rant. Real quick. Phasma played, seconds. Phasma played no fucking role. What's she was like, like, she why, was, why are you even here? Yeah, she looked epic. I was like, yeah. And then, like, Nothing. you know, they do this super, like, bop on the shoulder then knock like, out and it's like yeah. okay and, like, and, and the moment that happens sorry before the, the second time runs out I was like okay well I see this coming I don't care like I, that, that's yeah. what made me really mad I'm like this was not orchestrated well anyway yeah. and also the biggest disappointment for me personally I don't went, listen to again, spo- I, time's up so, again, spoiler name. alert spoiler alert no but <laughs> I still have watched all Star Wars I so shut up but wow. biggest disappointment for me alright was when, you know, Han Solo was killed. It wasn't cl- climactic. It wasn't disappointing. It wasn't no. emotional. Are we, still, sh- are we still the two-minute mark? With, with, are we still I the timer? the timer because you said that's my rant. I was like, minute and a half. And he literally said one of the major spoilers of the movies. Thank you, Lone. Thank you, Lone. It's one of the highest-selling movies. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have seen it. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I did, I, I, at this I, point, I you've had spoil. enough time to see the movie. If you haven't, then go fuck yourself. I said spoiler huh. alert anyway. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah, that's true. No, you did. Um, but what's it called? Um, that Come event. On. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into what happened because we're past the spoiler. It needed to happen, and it yeah. should have happened because um, he didn't want to be in the movies anymore. Yeah. But anyways, next. They're just next gonna thing. gradually just like all the originals. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, that, okay. Yeah. Well, let, can we touch on Kylo Ren because you said you didn't like him, Chris? Her. Um, oh, no, no. I. I think he's a work in progress, though. He's, he's a bit different. Well, he needs to. He needs to start with better foundation. You yep. can't. You can't reintroduce a new a new Sith Lord, and then have that be the foundation. The only thing I liked about him was uh, 
was his armor design with his hood up, and then yeah. I didn't think anything else about him. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, I'll move on to the, the last question that we have here. Um, so you seem to be a fan of games uh, that have stories that take a chance. And recently, 2K established Bioshock. People know I love Bioshock. As a permanent franchise, that's what they said. Um, yeah. have, have you played the original Bioshocks? And could you talk about your thoughts on the series and where you think it, it could possibly go? Well, I one of the reasons I like it so much is... is uh, so I love Bioshock 1 because it had a lot of elements that were in line with System Shock 2, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Also, the, the feel of the environment. I thought there was a, little, a lot of great visual storytelling. And I, I just like what was going on. Um, with Infinite... I thought something really great happened where because you introduce a character with this quantum ability to sort of shift between these different shades of reality, suddenly you have this franchise that's not just a shooter. It could be, you have a variety of possibilities that same shooter. So Elizabeth could be somebody else completely in a DLC and it makes sense now within the world they established with Infinite. Like Infinite basically said... Now you can make any type of quote unquote Bioshock game you ever want, and it's like it's like you know Zlazny's like uh, Chronicles of Amber. Like there's always these different shadow worlds that still have characters you're familiar with, but now they have a twist to them that makes them even more interesting than they were before. And I thought that was fantastic. Like that's that's the way to make a franchise breathe. Yeah, and, and with Elizabeth in particular, I don't know if a lot of you have watched like the, the the videos of the game progressing through beta and alpha and all of that. But she was a bit more fleshed out. She actually had like superpowers and a bit, a bit more of an involved role than she actually didn't have in the final game. So I feel like Elizabeth could still be fleshed out a little bit more. Like she was con- doing you know moves and and, and and using the her magic to a more greater extent than she did. And again, I, I like that it was a bit different to how Bioshock One and Bioshock Two operated. And I I still think that there is space to explore in Colombia. Um, and I hope that I sh- we actually see another Infinite-related game. I know people are saying, well, let's go to space or let's go underground, but I would like to see Columbia flesh out a little bit more. Well, it's interesting with the Bioshock series in that uh, I-, I think they've tried to embrace a certain uh, elemental force in every every game. Like, mm-hmm. like Bioshock 1 and 2 were water, uh, and Bioshock yeah, 2 yeah. was air. Um, so seeing seeing things and others. I used to joke about Bio- the next Bioshock being set in a volcano. So if I'm right, I'm gonna laugh. No, but uh, seriously, that's not <laughs> that's cool. Like though. a that's cool. bad like thought, uh, or having fire at least related to it somehow. If I'm correct. I'm gonna laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in a quarry. It's Earth. Stone. <laughs> 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 Stone. <laughs> Actually, snow would be really cool though. You could do a lot of snuff with that snuff stuff. <clears throat> <laughs> I, uh, I I don't want to spoil anything, but the only thing I have an issue with is that at the end of the Burial at Sea DLC, like part two at the end, like... Spoiler, let's just say spoiler. Right, yeah, like Elizabeth dies, that like infinite universe thing comes to a close, because I think since that Elizabeth is dead, the original, I guess you could say Elizabeth... Um, there are no more multiple Elizabeths because in that DLC, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I've only played it once. But like, there, there's you see like one dead Elizabeth at one point. You see like a dead Booker, and then like there's another Elizabeth you can see. I think at some point, and then like the original one finally dies in the end of it all. Uh, so which, well, which, well, which, well, who's to say what? Who's to say there's an original Elizabeth? Well, that, we're that's the thing. It's, it's Bioshock, so there's like you, you, there's a loophole somewhere, but like. She it's dies really before the first Bioshock game even happens. So then it's like yeah. Bioshock 1 and 2 happen after that. It's like, <laughs> but then there's a loophole where she is 
She lives through Dude, it. The beauty about the infinite ending is that we don't know what actually happened. Like, yes, we saw Elizabeth die, <laughs> but did she actually die? No one are you knows. Talking about like, infinite, or are you talking about burial at sea? Oh, let's not get started on uh, fucking infinite. Like, no, man, that explains get the multiple doors and universes. That I, makes sense. I, I, Guys, I'm, I'm going to do another spoiler timer for 30 seconds. So you guys do ready? it. Do it. Yeah. All right. All right. So starting now. Uh, 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 so uh, what I loved about Bioshock Infinite was it didn't end, it didn't end with a boss fight per se. It was yeah, just yeah, a yeah. slow end of now we're exploring more about these characters. And the next thing I loved was so I was expecting to fight Songbird at the end. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm not, obviously there's going to be classes was leading up to, but then I could control Songbird. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. And now Songbird's a weapon at my disposal. I thought that was fucking badass. I thought it was great. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm done. That, that was an emotion. Oh, okay. I, I got to talk about spoilers. Uh, that right, was so an this emotion. This game is a couple of years old. Like, Yeah, yeah, we don't really need to do spoiler alert for Bioshock. Okay, fine. If you the, haven't played it song, yet, you don't want to play it. The Songbird <laughs> death, that was fucking emotional. That was so sad. The, the way, you know, brought onto the water and Elizabeth's just like, shh, 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 against the glass. How... Uh, that hurt me like more than a lot of other things. Like, all game, but you still feel bad. Like I don't, I still don't get how I felt bad when he died. Well, no, it's like they um, played Borderlands Two with with fucking Bloodwing. <laughs> and like, you know what? We're gonna we're don't gonna even do bring Bloodwing into this man. <laughs> all right, because he dies in one of the most brutal fucking oh, ways. So and and I played fucking no. That's what I, I hate. Yeah, like Borderlands Two is no, <laughs> no longer a freaking, loot shooter. This is like, this is a story game now, man. What the fuck did he just yeah, do? It's like you hit me right here, you know. Like, Chris, you've played Borderlands Two. Am I am I correct or not? Uh, yeah, I play. I played a bit of it. I haven't played a lot of it, but I was having a lot of fun with it. It's like Borderlands Two felt like. One of the it's, it's a sequel title and that they, where they got all the engine and programming stuff out of the way, and they yep. could just focus on more fun stuff. And there was a lot of fun stuff in Borderlands too. I'm like, I am really enjoying this, but then work out the way again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I think another and- game on that level where they've you know done the first bit and they could build up on a lot of it. And I know this is going to be a bit controversial and a bit left wing, but Destiny. I feel Destiny could be a great game. And they've set up the foundations. It's a solid shooter. Don't give me that look. It's a fantastic shooter game. There's just no content in it. That's the problem. Don't give me that look. Here, here's what it, here's what Destiny <laughs> set up for. A wonderful um, universe. Like, like it can the, still the, be the, that, and it can still be, but it's not. Okay? I know. I agree. I agree. But that's why it's we're having pretty. this conversation. And it, and it came out, and it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty. That's for damn sure. It's just, like this, Star Wars this, Battlefront. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, that's, now that's equally true as well. I hate that but so much. You hate Battlefront now? What's up, guys, Matt? You're going to be covering Battlefront? You're number one, number one place for it. I didn't say Mr. number Man, one. I will never say I'm a number one Number source. one. No. Better than I am. Yeah. I fucking... I I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I know you didn't say any of this. But. Chris, have you played Battlefront? Uh, I played uh, the older Pandemic version. I played the most recent one. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Maddie can tell you all about that. He loves that game. It's just you know his baby. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right, Maddie? No. I'm not even joking about it. Like, no. It's. I've never been so wrong about a game in my life because the beta was the full game, and that's just like not even a stretch. Yeah, but even people saw that, though. They were like, this is I said, what it though, is. I, I specifically said in like a 30-plus minute video about Battlefront, I was like, if this game 
expands upon what it is right now, it will be good. It didn't expand at all. It, the beta was the full game, and I'm like, okay, well, I've already played this game, so after like, I put ten hours into it. Which well, Battlefront, wow, wow, yeah, way more than well, Battlefront. <laughs> well, Battlefront is is a platform for more DLC to be built on top of. Yep. Okay, now, unfortunately, that's and, what it is. Now, some people like that. An expanded and, and, universe, as it were. Exactly, yeah. but not as deep. An expanded universe is something Destiny is. You know, where you can build more on the story. I put air quotes in Taking that. Taking King um, isn't bad, but they still have the grinding. I've heard really good things about Taking King, so I'm not going to give it shit. And I haven't played it either, so I can't really give Destiny at all any shit. I can. But, yeah, like, you can't give Far Cry Primal any shit. Hey, Noah... Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is my opinions on Primal got me some mean tweets, but you know, fuck, fuck what you thought. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Can, can but I uh, ask another curveball question? Oh God, Chris. No, no, it's oh, not God. bad. It's Chris, not bad. You and, Why would you, you don't... encourage that behavior? <laughs> How dare because you? Because I'm just as bad, and you don't have to answer this. All right, you don't have to answer it. Oh. But I really wanted to ask you about Van Buren, and I think a lot of people oh, want to okay, know about. Sure. It. Is that cool? Can you just tell us about like you know being involved in that and it being cancelled and you know yeah. where you were heading with that? Just your thoughts. You can ramble on as much as you'd like about it. Yeah. Uh, so with Van Buren, that was an uh, uh, Interplay's attempt to do Fallout Three. Uh, we weren't able to get the support to do a PC engine because uh, a lot of the company was sort of going more console focused at that time. And actually, Interplay yeah. was playing catch up with consoles around that time too. So that was another strike against any sort of PC title being developed. Uh, so I worked on that title for I think approximately three years. Like uh, I was wow. like uh, they they were they allowed me like to do the design documents and set up systems and like character advancement. You like do like Google PCs and Super Mutant PCs, and um, I ran like two pen and paper games, testing out the rules and the areas and drawing all the maps and getting all the reference art. And then yeah, then um, then one day Black Isles just started to kind of fall apart, and then that was sad. And then Baldur's Gate three, which is going on the same time, got canceled. Uh, because ostensibly because of an accounting error, which, you know, I don't know how extensive that accounting error was. But that, at, that point, at that point, I'm like, wow, I don't think Fallout's ever going to see the light of day. And, like, I'm like, I don't know if I could keep working on this and then just see it canceled, not because of anything the development team did, but because, uh, like, a certain logistical support wasn't there. So, yeah, uh, that was rough, but... You know, there was the opportunity with New Vegas to bring some of those ideas back, but over time it sort of changed and mutated, but uh, not in a bad way. Like uh, Old World Blues, like was like the the Boulder Dome and Van Buren. There were a lot of similarities there, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the super mutants, like uh, starting to lose their minds because of prolonged stealth boy usage. Like that came out of the the Fallout pen and paper games we used to do back in Interplay. We thought it'd be cool, like well these Nightkin, like you know, sure they're uh, stealth- yeah. they're, they're stealthy, but you use that technology too long and it scrambles your brains, which, which we were going to keep using as a plot element because then the Brotherhood of Steel started using it. But then they, did, but then they didn't realize what it was doing to their brains. And then suddenly a crazy Brotherhood of Steel sect, that's some scary shit. Like, so we had all sorts of fun stuff planned for that. Yeah, it was, it was really hard to leave behind. But mm-hmm. I, th- I, think, I think New Vegas proved that no ideas are, are like ever really lost. They're just new ways you can sort of like bring them back to life, and and maybe there's more stuff about Van Buren that you know we can do in the future. That's kind of my hope. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess this is what everyone wants. Is well, the thing is, you're not with Obsidian Entertainment, but a lot of people would love to see Obsidian pick up and do another Fallout game uh, because they believe that Obsidian, in terms of the traditional RPG elements, they're a bit more they're more effective 
as opposed to Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to see that you know the old team back at Obsidian pick up Fallout, and um, where would you like to see that the franchise go from there? Yeah, I think they. I think uh, Obsidian proven New Vegas that they can do a really good job with uh, with a Fallout game. Um, and if there was an opportunity like to do a, like a quote unquote New Vegas two, even though it probably wouldn't be in Vegas, I'd be very yeah. interested to see where it goes. One of the uh, some of the suggested cities by some of the designers that I, that had left um, a few years back. One had suggested that you know Fallout New Orleans would be cool. Uh, one wanted to do like uh, Fallout San Francisco, yeah. which both those locations are great. And then one one thing for Fallout Three, which they hinted at in the DLCs, was hey, there's kind of the eerie stretch up near like Ohio, you know, Ohio, and sort of like the the northern section of the United States, which would be really cool to explore. And little hints they gave. For what that area was like, that sounded pretty cool, and I'm like, that was okay. like a throwaway line. From and you know what? That's that. Those are the best things because that's a single line like that. That's that's what a narrative designer can really shine because you're like, and now I've showed you so much more about the world with just a single line. And then the eerie stretch line was kind of like that, that throwaway that did so much more than just be a, a throwaway line. It was great. Yeah, yeah, and, and plus people don't want to wait another eight years for another full <laughs> game. I sure don't. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry. The same thing with the new GTA. I gotta wait another thirty <laughs> years for that shit. <laughs> yeah, they'll do Red Dead too. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. I watched a video. Um, uh, I'm not gonna get into it, but basically, there's a lot of theories that say Red Dead Two is uh, heavily in development. It's gotta be. Yeah. It's gotta be. Well, it's either Red Dead or Midnight Club. So it's gonna be one of them. Fuck Midnight. Yeah. No, Red it's Dead. It's a good game. That's Midnight a good game. Yeah, it was great on PS2. <laughs> I really enjoyed Midnight Club. Fuck you. I did too. Back in, you know, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Fine, we'll get a Red Dead 2. There we go. I gotta ask, then, Chris. From your prestigious and professional opinion, do you do you think there's ever a chance that? And I'm not just saying Obsidian, but from your professional standpoint, do you ever see Bethesda after what they did with Fallout 4, handing off the IP now, or do you think they're trying to make it their own now? Oh God, no! I, if I were them, I would no. I don't think they would ever hold it. I don't, I don't think they would ever give it to anybody else. Like, like, I, I mean, when I, I say that, I mean kind of like what they did with New Vegas. I should have specified that. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I don't know. I obviously don't know for sure, but uh, I think if uh, they felt they had the the right developer who understood the franchise, and there, you know, if there's a substantial dead period between the the releases of the games, like I, I'm sure they would consider it. Um, I I wouldn't know all the logistics or what's going on, on their side, but you know, there might uh, obviously there would be instances where it would make sense. I just don't know if they'll do it. Okay. Is there a bunch of the uh, old New Vegas team still at Obsidian, or have a lot of them moved on? Oh uh, no, I think uh, a good chunk of them are still there. I, I, I'd have to run through the entire credits list. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's sure. I know the uh, the lead programmer isn't there anymore, unfortunately, because Frank Kowalski was was great because he like he also got excited about all the design stuff, but because he was a, a really great programmer, he knew all the way the ways to implement it too. So that that was yeah, a yeah. Huge loss. And then uh, I think a lot of the level designers are still there. Um, but uh, no, yeah, yeah, I have to go through the entire credits list again to be sure. But uh, I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact. It feels like a lot of them are still there. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Cool, cool. All right. Does anyone else have any remaining curveball questions? No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> Noah, what kind of car do you drive? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, it's okay. Well, I, I, 
It's okay if you guys don't have any more curveball questions. <laughs> oh no, there's some there. We just gotta think of them. There's someone. No, there's no, someone right now on their keyboard. There's someone on their keyboard right now, like fucking ask this. You know, yeah, and they're, they're like, probably like some freaking question. out, like how could they forget? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we, we, we're gonna be fucking killed on Twitter if we've forgotten any important questions. I think we covered most of the things that would be considered important. I, I couldn't leave that last question, though, about, like, if someone else were to develop it, because they're like, well, he worked at Obsidian, he must know, and it's like, well, opinions and yeah. opinion. Actually, someone someone um did ask uh, on Twitter, and this is not a curveball question, but he's like, he, he knew that you were coming onto the podcast, he's like, Mr. Avalone, any projects you felt strongly about that had to be abandoned? Now, of course, we talked about Van Buren, but were there any projects that you also worked on that were also abandoned as well. You talked about Baldur's Gate. I don't know if you were involved in that directly. So were there the, any the others? Ones that, the ones that I felt passionate about actually weren't abandoned. Uh, they fell apart for reasons that usually weren't development-related. So the ones yeah. that I felt strongly about were uh, Aliens Crucible. I thought that was going to be great. I, I really enjoyed working on that. Uh, obviously, Baldur's Gate 3. Um, Van Buren. Um, uh-huh. And there's probably a whole bunch of other ones, but th- those three really stand out as sort of like the the, the hard ones. <laughs> yeah, well, to wow. so many years into development, and then for it to come to a halt, it, it must be very difficult. So there's actually two stages of that. One is um, you 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 spend a number of years trying to develop a title, and then it get you know canceled or uh, you know whatever whatever happens with it. That that's rough. Yeah. But yeah, but at least you can usually usually take the design ideas from that and say, well, in a different franchise, how would this be? Or and so they, they sort of still live on. The another difficult part of the process is watching twenty or forty ideas like that die and during yeah. during a normal pitch process, which usually happens at almost any company, where a developer will you know try to put together like twenty different ideas for games, which you put which you put your heart into. And then you try and shop those around and see, you know, well, would a publisher like this? Would they like that? And usually they won't. So 20 ideas just kind of like fall to the floor and you're never going to really see those come to life again unless you're really, really lucky. That's actually just as brutal as, you know, three years of work getting canceled. Yeah, I could imagine. Well, anyway, so we won't ask any more curveball questions, Mr. Chris Avalon. <laughs> Mr. Chris Avalon. I, I, I feel bad. I feel bad. But um, unless anyone else here has... Anything else to say? I guess we. What are we playing? Let's do that real quick. Are we gonna do that? Sure. Fuck yeah! All right, Chris. I don't know why I'm getting so adamant about that. I don't know why I'm talking about Metal Gear. So hell yeah, I did. (laughs) So Chris, usually what we do in in old uh, past podcasts, uh, we do a section called "What are we playing." And we just talk about the games that recently we've been playing and, and that we've been enjoying. I typically don't have anything to say because I don't play games anymore. It's, it's very depressing. But I get the shit but- for not playing games. <laughs> that's, totally, that's totally fucking true. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> so aside from Fallout 4, Chris, are you playing any other games recently? Yeah, there's a few. I've been playing uh, Invisible Ink. Uh, I tried uh, playing this game, uh, Overfall, which I'm enjoying. I also... Uh, last one is uh, there's a, a game called Renowned Explorers, which uh, I just happened to get recommended to me, and I've been playing that, and actually been having a lot of fun with it. I like the art style. There's different ways of using speech to fight off enemies by convincing them that you're right, 
Uh, it's, 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 it's really interesting, but you know, the, those are three of the ones that I can talk about playing. So there's others that I'm playing, but because they haven't been released yet or they're like bug testing, I just can't talk about those. But how about Fallout 5 confirmed. We'll talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> we knew so. <laughs> but, uh, Mark, that's pretty okay, awesome. Noah, Talk about Metal Gear, just do it. Oh, 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 oh. So I recently <laughs> purchased Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. Uh, definitely an awesome game. Could give two shits about the story. Um, there's someone out there who's like, fucking prick. But um, <laughs> no, it's the, the gameplay. It just goes deep. It just, like, I, I'm there on, like, the mother base. You know, Matt, you may know what I'm, you know. Um, doing the mother base stuff where, where you, you know, get really expansive into the staff and what, you know, they're researching and stuff. And you're sitting there three hours past and you're still messing in the same menu. And I'm just like, Oh my God. It's, I will say since fallout four, it is one of the first games where I've just like, I've been at work wishing I was home playing it, you know, and that I don't feel that that often within the last couple of years, but like that, this game, it's like, I want to just fucking play. Uh, there is a game that I want to play that I haven't. And I want to, open the board here has anyone here played shadow of mortal and platinum it okay is it good like platinum it? It? yes it's, <laughs> it's very good i i enjoyed it quite a bit it was uh very it was like see the thing though is that some of the gameplay mechanics i wasn't a huge fan of i think it got a little too much praise for doing what other games do on an annual basis like it had the ubisoft kind of climb to the high That's surface great. press this yeah. button and then side objectives and then Arkham Combat, except you actually killed people with a sword, so you were chopping orcs in half and stuff, and that was really cool. Uh, but still, the Batman combat system, with some new layers on top of it, which made it a little interesting, but I'm starting to get a little tired of that system, because it seems like every game's trying to mimic it. I think I think superhero games need something new now. Um, yeah, to not be made. No, no. They, 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 they're, they're, <laughs> I'm just kidding. has to be a good Spider-Man game first before, that's, before that happens. No, that's so hard because Marvel Marvel doesn't give their fucking licenses to good game companies, it feels Here, like. Here, Activision takes every good fucking... Never said Activision was a good sake. company. Oh. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing. Well, but, uh, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. You, Sorry. You do but... realize the Activision, Activision Missile Network just went online, Noah. And Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, just, it's just, just homing in on me. Chill yeah. the it's not the train. <laughs> They've been looking for me for years, them and EA, but, yeah, but uh, and Anita and Anita Sarkeesian, but we're not going to get Sar- into that. Shadow Mordor isn't a bad game by any means, but it's a strictly gameplay game, and I've kind of fallen out of love with those. I kind of like my round package now. That that's it's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Change your name to Round Package. Round Package. Like, yeah, that's my. That's gonna be my new Twitter handle. Round Package. Like I like my. I like my story. I like my gameplay. I like my music. I like what would round this off. Um, what's the What's the taint? Yeah. What's the What's the feud? <laughs> Is that like a soundtrack? No, no, like that, that has to be modded in. No, that has to yeah. be modded in. Oh, that's, no, the pubes are the mod. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Viagra is the mod because you add it to it. it does, it's not there initially. Good one. Uh, I don't know what really? the last one would be, but like... Preparation age cream. I, I agree, though. Like, it, it, someone um, commented this on the last podcast. They were like, oh, I th- feel like Lone only wants stories to have a twist or with dark themes to be considered a good game. But no, not necessarily. I I just think games could benefit a lot from having an underlying good story, yeah. because it it just takes it to another level, like completely. It goes from, it, it goes from a 
good to great, great to fantastic, you know. I don't know. I feel like a lot of games could definitely benefit from it. Like Destiny. You, uh, outstanding. <laughs> oh, yeah, well... I, I think that's I think that's very true. I th- you know, I... Okay, so people expect, like, they they like, oh, a big twist when it's done well, they really like it. That's great. But I, I see a lot of... Uh, maybe it's just the more recent years where people realize that certain cliches have been developed and then they sort of... Yeah. They do minor twists in those, and they keep building those until you realize it's much different than you expected. Like when I was watching Jessica Jones, I'm like, okay, someone really thought about David Tennant's powers and how that would work. And like really, really thought about it. And I kept getting surprised by how those were used. And I, I really enjoyed that. And it wasn't like a huge twist. It just was obvious that someone had taken the baseline expectations of that, that mechanic and then they took it to a logical conclusion of someone who's lived for 35 years with that power. Yeah, well, yeah, well and, and it, it's not it's even not necessarily a twist. Hold on, like, we got to Oh, we, we got, got echo. echo. Oh, am I All good? Right, we're good, we're good. Yeah, so I don't know if a lot of you have played Brothers. I know, Maddie, you've played Brothers, yeah. uh, A Tale of Two Sons, but that wasn't necessarily a twist, but it's the way that it was told and, and how it just built up to that moment. And I, and I thought that was brilliantly executed. So... Again, I, w- I would like to see games. It doesn't have to be a big twist, but to execute an, a certain narrative would, would would be awesome to see a lot of games to try and pursue that. It, even Destiny, like, w- why do I have to go to a website to read more about the lore of the game? Why because isn't that told in the game decision. itself? It's, it's, a lot of the time it comes down to not, like, the twist or whatever. You know, even, like, for example, Brothers, like, you kind of see what's going to happen at the end coming because you know that's kind of, yeah. like, the most emotionally impacting thing that can happen. But it's... Yeah the execution i think that's what matters most and they did it perfectly and that's why even though i had a feeling it was coming it was like the way they did it and then the gameplay mechanic that they implemented afterwards were you know you know how it's always based off the analog sticks. Yeah, i don't yeah, want to spoil yeah. it but you know it changes uh, dramatically and it's like wow you know they did this and then the ending the ending scene is just so poignant and it just really impacts mm-hmm. you and and then yeah. the game finishes exactly and and so that's just my thoughts on games. I'm not looking for twists in every game. But. If it's, if it's a game, I do think a lot of publishers and developers realize that just about every game has to have a good story. Like, I think they, they do realize that has to be part of the package, whether it's round or not. Yeah. And I think I, when, I, you, well, when you find a game that is purely itself on you know, gameplay, it's, it's probably an indie game. You know? yeah. But it's not to say that indie games have bad stories by any means. There's some of the best games I've played have been indie games, you know? And then beautiful art styles, too. I think indie games are where a lot of good ideas flourish and where you get your biggest yeah. surprises, like Rocket League. It's much more private like, to be know, able to make. I don't think know. anyone could have... Pre- I mean, I, some people predicted. Like I know Colin Moriarty from Kind of Funny was like, Rocket League's going to be huge, and he was entirely right that, you know, turned out to be a very popular game. Well, I feel like bigger games and bigger publishers, they, you know, they stick with what works and what they know and they make changes around the edges. Whereas sure. with indie developers, they have a bit more scope to experiment and to they utilize ideas to. that they have to. <laughs> they, they have to be innovative and inventive. Um, but I, I think that's the real benefit of having indie studios and hopefully bigger studios look upon them and they Im- incorporate those really interesting aspects into their video games. Like, for example, we could call, say Call of Duty. That changes around the edges every year to the stage yeah. where you could still consider the newer Call of Duty the exact same as Modern Warfare uh, 4 or, or whatever. So, yeah. As for what I'm playing this week, I did not realize until you guys just asked what I'm playing this week that 
I haven't played video games much this week. I'm, I like that's why I, I don't know if you saw me start like looking around my room. I'm like, what the fuck have I been playing? That, that comes as a surprise, Matty. Whoa, Matt! Maybe <laughs> everyone should tweet at him and give him shit. It, I don't know why though. I think it's because like when I've had spare just time, went south again. Oh my god, such violence, <laughs> such anger. Well, it's because whenever I have spare time now, I've, I've been trying to watch all of Legend of Korra. Like I want to watch that whole show, and I'm on season three right now. I just got the the Blu-ray just Fucking came in the mail today. Evil. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I know, I know. I'm just but, kidding. But uh, when I do want to sit down and play games, I found myself sitting down and playing uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And uh, I talked about that a little bit last week. But it, uh, you know, because that white wolf license just kind of freed up. How how interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be something in the... I won't ask you, but I feel like there's something going on there. Uh, but... This game is is fantastic. I really do recommend it. I I don't because it's not for everyone. I don't know if I'd pay the right now. I'd say pay the full price for it. But I got it on sale during the Steam sale for like five bucks. Just the way the quests are structured, it never kind of turns out how you expect. This whole new universe with like all these races you can call them, but they're all just different types of vampires and stuff. Um, and just having I said this yeah now as I speak I remember talking about this previously, but like having to be this vampire in the normal world and trying to blend in and uh, not give away your cover and respect the family and, 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 you know, not let people know about what's going on in this hidden cult of vampires and stuff and how there's this whole underground war going on. It's so cool. It's so different. And uh, I really have been drawn to this game where, you know, I think about it when I'm not playing it. Uh, but other than that, I, I mean... Yeah, I have a bunch of games I, I need to get started, and I, I should not... Vampire is a, a great title. Uh, the uh, I got to work with um, a guy who wrote a number of the characters for that game, Brian Metzoda, and he writes just these really entertaining characters to interact with. He did a lot of the character um, basics for Alpha Protocol, and he always approaches them from like a really interesting direction where you want to know more about them, and I, I, I thought Vampire was a pretty good example of that. I, I really enjoyed speaking with those characters. Yeah, I agree. I'm only four or five hours in i was just looking at my steam profile like i'm around that have you hit the have you hit the haunted house yet no oh my god that level amazing it's great okay yeah no i've heard this it's it's a fantastic game but it just doesn't get enough praise so I'm, i'm really excited to keep digging into it how long is that game uh, I don't know. I don't know if I actually got all the way to the end of it. Oh, wow. I, I felt bad for saying that, but uh, there's some levels I actually played repeatedly because I, I admired how they did the design for it, and the the haunted house level was definitely that one because there's there's almost no combat, mm-hmm. but it's terrifying. Right. It's uh, it's right. it was a really good use of the source engine. Wow, I'm scared now. Get ready. It should be. All right. That, <laughs> so anyway, oh, yeah, is there anyone right. else who needs to talk about what they're all playing? Right. Nah, all good. All good. Alrighty, well, I'll wrap this up here. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. You've been a, a long-awaited guest. We, we've always wanted to get you on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you're, you're one of the... I, I, what, what word did you use, Noah? Um, prestigious. So, prestigious. Uh, yeah. Prestigious. <laughs> Give me that character trait, please. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Uh, but no, but seriously, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you know you can come back another time. You're more than I, welcome. I would love to. I had a blast, guys, and thanks for thanks for even reaching out and asking. That was that was great. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We gotta definitely. thank our viewers once again because I don't think these guests would be possible if they didn't all respond to a tweet I put out and go like, "Yes, do it," and you know, yeah, Meg Bowler. Attention. Yep. 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 <laughs> Meg, Meg, yep. She's like, "Just do it, mate," and I'm like. 
Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> no, it's excellent. Um, so the way that we'd like to end podcast, Chris, and I guess this is another curveball thing. We'd like to have uh, the guests just end the... this curveball, though, so it's Yeah, fair. yeah, it's fair. Um, we just like the, the guests to end the podcast in any way that they see fit. So um, I guess we can just stop talking now, and Chris, you can end the podcast however you want. It was summer of 2016. Four individuals who loved games had thought they had escaped Activision's notice. But when North <laughs> house was destroyed by a sudden missile strike, <laughs> they had to go underground and fight back against the big publishers. This summer, 2016, I, there's some title for this movie I don't know yet, but it's really exciting. Rated PG-13. <laughs> for animated violence. <laughs> 